right, we have we have two Miatas. I I grew up uh, one of my dad's cars when I was really young. He had a red Miata. We used to listen to Randy Travis and cruise around. So oh, that's pretty. The Randy Travis, Randy part Travis is pretty part cool. Is cool. The Miata. Part <laughs> I've got a bug in my body that dislikes Miatas, uh, but you know, I I don't really fit in them very well. I don't know. It's my leg. I'm more leg than torso, so it just doesn't suit me very well. Dude, I've never honestly, I've never heard Randy Travis and Miata <laughs> mentioned in the same <laughs> sentence. Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. I am Josh Henning. I'm Phil Gerber. I'm Jeremy Gerber. Welcome to Oil & Whiskey, an Ironclad Original. Today's guest is the CEO of Griot's Garage, Nick Griot. Hey, you know what I was, Yeah, yeah you, got, <laughs> felt it. you know what I was thinking? You know what I was thinking? I was thinking after being at Columbus. That I had no COVID. Yeah, we know that. We get, we're right. past that now. What were you thinking? I think we got it on the gas. There was a particular vehicle there. Well, we've, we've got time for an on the gas. Right. There was a particular vehicle there that we were quite fond of. So we're doing Do Let's on do the it. gas. Let's do it. We're doing on the gas. I'm doing an impromptu right on now. the gas. Yep. You missed out on it. Though. I did miss okay. out on it. Okay, well, got to let watch me fill you in. As I describe it, I want you to close your eyes and visualize the, bad, the badassness of this. So the Hot Rod Garage was out there, out of, uh, oh. out of Oklahoma, right? Yeah. So talking about on the gas and bringing the heat, they had a 63 split window vet out there that was super duper badass. It was all like uh, kind of Italian inspired European kind of design and a totally different take. It was such a fresh look. There's no pictures I spent a while when he was talking about how cool it was. There's nothing on their Instagram. I just kept going back to it. It was Uh, so cool. I wonder if there's anything on Eric Black's Instagram. He was the Eric Black responsible for it. Yes, he did the renders. Um, well, somebody's got to have pictures of that thing. Continue the description for those who weren't yeah. there, like myself. Yeah, uh, I get. You would think that concept. You know, I mean, that's Corvette's kind of a sports car to begin with. It's not really a muscle car, so it was brilliant concept and brilliantly executed the dash it still screamed 63 corvette and you think about how iconic that dash is but to be able to completely remove it and do something totally different yet still have it very much feel 63 corvette was pretty damn cool it was amazing didn't have the double hump it not really no i mean there was some they paid kind of respect to it that it was kind of sort of there in some respect but Otherwise, completely different. Hard to put it in words. It, is, but uh, it would be great if there was a. It would be like an if, outlet for people to if s- Aston to Martin see and Chevrolet collab together. Like if and uh, even how Jason was talking about it, that, you know, the thought process was kind of like if Chevrolet was going to do a European show car model to kind of gain interest in the American market over there. The styling they would have done had Porsche three fifty six mirrors, uh, had Jaguar handles. Um, Nardi wheel, OG Nardi wheel. Um, and then LED lights, like strip lights in the headliner yeah. that illuminated the whole interior, which was like the highlight of the car. Yeah. It just worked so well. Everything worked really, really good on that car. Yeah. You always hear about people talking about, you know, they want to build a gentleman's car. You know, this yeah. is 
this is the one that nailed it. This and then it's it. like a fendered Model A coupe with yeah. a 302 and a 700 R4. <laughs> and you're like, that sucks. Yeah, this is <laughs> that a wooden shift knob, though. Yeah. Um, there are some pictures popped up on Good Guys. You probably got to dig a little bit. non-existent see that's the problem with cars like those they tend to fly under the radar because it wasn't Didn't loud and cool in your face scoops and carbon fiber right and, yeah it's just one of those things you'd want to own and drive well anybody that was at columbus you saw absolutely it. saw it the right. hot rod garage jason and them they did an amazing job on that car and yeah. uh if you weren't at columbus you missed out you should have been but go check out. I'm sure he'll be around. That car will be around uh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Keep your eye out for it. Kind of a light blue metallic 63. But you fine. can't miss it. Yeah. Hot Rod Garage Inc. They also they he the one they are the ones that do um, the gathering at the Rock. Yeah, car show. That's right. We were, I was talking to him about it. It's coming up in uh, October. Told him that we were going to try to do something this year. That'd be really good to go out there and maybe just do it as a. A fun Hang trip, fun yeah, like a, yeah. yeah, enjoy ourselves, just enjoy a ourselves. A yeah. non-work trip, non-work trip, recreation. Jump in something and drive it out there. Let's do it. They got to do, they do a big tour. He was telling me about the area. Which rock is this precisely that you're? you're it's in there? Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah. So he said it's a very. It's not just, what you would think would be Oklahoma. It's in a so very it's a, a large rock. I, I I don't know if it has anything to do with the rock. It's just I, I just think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> Uh, but go check out Hot Rod Garage Inc. on Instagram. Check out their 63 split window at a coming to a show near you. I think he's going to be at the Triple Crown. He should be. Yeah. Kick-ass car. Nick Griot is the CEO of Griot's Garage. Founded in 1990 by Nick's father, Richard. Griot's Garage is renowned name in the automotive car industry, offering top quality care products and services. They also provide educational resources and workshops to empower automotive enthusiasts. You can learn more about Griot's Garage at griotsgarage.com and on YouTube and Instagram at Griot's Garage. Nick, welcome to Oil & Whiskey. Welcome, man. Thank you, guys. Cheers. I'm stoked to be here with you guys. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, man. Uh, awesome to have you. Got my special Glen Karen, and I pulled out a special one for you guys. I love so. it, man. Some Rock Hill Farms absolutely at the top of the list right we ranked that it thing ranked number Wait, one last year on the season that how about the that rating yeah yeah so i had to pop this bottle because um we get like no rare bourbon out here in washington because it was state run and so like all the private right. liquor stores are starting to build their rapport with their distributors so whenever i go out to our manufacturing plant in indy i check a bag regardless of how long i'm going to be there and i usually bring maximum five bottles home and walked into one of the stores like right by our warehouse and nobody's buying Rock Hill Farms right in this like, you know, warehousing sector. So like I am buying that bottle. I have not seen one of those for three or four years. So I bought it, flew it home and like on the flight, the whiskey must have like gone up yeah. into the, the head. So I had to open it even though I was going to stash it for a while. So, you know, got to drink those. Yep. You got to drink them. God, that's a long, that is a long journey. It makes you enjoy it even more though. I'm sure Yeah, there's a story behind it, but the fact yeah. that you found that sitting on the shelf, dude, that's pretty, that's yeah, wild. It's pretty damn cool. It's a good find. It's all a treasure hunt, you know, that's at this it. point. The thrill is in the hunt. So I know you're getting ready for the races coming up. What was, uh, what was today like? I know you're probably running ragged. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, this whole month of July, I'm probably in the office five days, some for work, some for pleasure. So, you know, when I have these days, it's like, it's full bore. So we had a staff meeting today and that something that I lead and then uh, just finishing up some of our uh, presentations for some of our major customers, you know, our auto retail customers, they start thinking about what they're going to put in their stores right now. And so we've got to bring all of our newest and best ideas to them. So I'll get back from Wisconsin on Monday at 10 and then I'm off to Missouri at 6 a.m. Wednesday. So it's just, I am running ragged, but that's the job, you know, and got to get through this, this period of time. And then it'll just be the next period of time. <laughs> so are you heading up to, I remember I ran into you last year up at Elkhart Lake for the uh, vintage weekend. You're not going up there this, this coming weekend. You racing? Yep. Yep. I'm going there tomorrow. Um, so the, uh, you know, up at road America, it's the, uh, I think Brian Redman weather tech challenge. And, uh, last year was the first time I went and raced two cars, McLaren M6B Can-Am cars, sent you guys some photos of that. And, uh, a formula Atlantic, which is like, a a formula Two kind of the best guys in that series are the guys that get pulled up into formula one. So those are the two cars I'll be racing again this year at Road America. I'm really looking forward to it. It's one of the best events I've ever been to for both racing, uh, my family, and just like being awesomely big, but but Midwestern personal, as opposed to some of the West Coast stuff where it's just a bunch of tech guys and their Ferraris that are great, um, but they they infill too much. They want to be seen versus uh Going to a place like last year, I think my best Midwestern experience was one of my kids was crying at the table. This little old lady comes up and she's like, would you like me to take him for a walk? Would you guys enjoy your dinner? <laughs> That's how we do it in the Midwest. It's awesome. Yeah, we're all wearing camouflage and nobody can be seen up in Wisconsin. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great event, though. And the Can-Am cars are wild and that whole, like, concourse they have and the parade. I mean, they definitely know how to do it up there that... That entire town is just geared around the racetrack. Pretty cool. Sounds cool. Yeah. A lot of history. I, there. I don't want to disparage the West Coast events by any means because I grew up going to the show that my dad founded the business by prospecting at in, in Laguna Seca and Monterey. But um, the way that the whole town is like based in the history of a race and they all like are excited for you to come is a different vibe. Whereas, you know, Monterey, there's plenty of the Monterey Peninsula is gorgeous. There's the Pebble Beach Golf Course. There's Big Sur. You know, San Francisco's right up the street, and you're you're annoying, right? Guys are going yeah. through stoplights, revving their Lamborghinis and doing burnouts in this quiet little beach town. They don't like you, so it's definitely a different vibe. That was a beautiful area when we did the road tour there. But the biggest takeaway was that little Giuseppe. Yeah, the, the little squirrels. The squirrels. Yeah, you can the fuck with those little squirrels up there, man. They thousands of them, and they're like. So people friend like they want to be fed, so they're just on you, climbing <laughs> your leg and everything like that. It was a crazy time. It is a beautiful area though. Like, but I can get what you're saying. You, even when we were driving through, there was like seven or eight cars on a road tour. Kind of got those looks of like, here we go again. Yeah, bunch of these sightseers, fucking hooligans. Yeah, yeah. Like you can see the Prius and Tesla adoption pretty strongly there. Yeah. <laughs> Start putting unburnt fuel onto their uh, pristine little roads and they're getting all pissed off. Yeah, we keep it real here in the Midwest. I mean, they got Can-Am cars and NASCARs and Trans-Am cars just tearing down the main drag in Elkhart Lake, just 
race fuel burning and it's cool. Fucking awesome. So that was, you know, that was wild. That experience for sure. You talked about your dad, uh, uh, at the racetracks and, you know, prospecting and stuff like that. Take us back to the, how did all this thing start? Yeah. Um, so there's a great story and, uh, it's definitely, uh, I, I won't like turn over every rock, but, uh, my dad was always into cars. He was, uh, restoring cars in his home garage when he was a teenager and worked at a, a restoration shop that still exists when he went to CU Boulder in the early eighties, um, went home and became a race instructor at Jim Russell racing school doing open wheel, uh, instruction and wanted to go pro. Uh, very hard to do without a big bankroll and somebody behind you. And my grandpa couldn't care less for uh, cars. So uh, he was kind of hapless, but he met my mom and she had a dress business and he ran that for her. And she quit that when my second brother arrived and my dad you know, got some advice from his dad to say, hey, you need to do something related to cars. And I think the catalog model is a great model. This is 88, 89, you know, pre-internet. And so the prospecting element that I described was him essentially going with self-return postcards to all these cars at the Monterey reunion, putting them under people's windshields and building a mailing list from, you know, are you interested in a catalog of the finest tools and garage accessories and car care available? And so he built a mailing list and then had to design a catalog. And it's <laughs> a unique uh, approach. Yeah. I mean, I think he knew the the products that he was going to do, but he didn't know anything about cataloging um, outside of what, you know, my grandpa had had taught him from his past experience. And so, you know, building a mailing list is important. And back then, you know, you could, you could rent lists and kind of buy based upon uh, overlapping interests, you know, some names. And it was a 20 page catalog and had tools uh, that he had sourced from Europe. So he went over there and became the exclusive US distributor for a couple uh, brands that still exist and one that we actually still sell. And from there he sold cabinets and floor paint and padded creepers, a bunch of stuff that people thought he was crazy for doing. But the landscape back then was you had like a Corvette catalog, a Mustang catalog, you know, these very specific spaces where you'd go buy stuff like porcelain signs and, you know, varsity jackets for your Corvette. And uh, he brought all that stuff together in one space and and really became, you know, quite successful very quickly. And then, um, you know, was like to the point where he was pulling in my grandma from a real estate job to take phone calls and uh, just grew and grew and grew. And then eventually wanted to, improve upon the chemicals that he was selling and started looking for third-party chemists that would help him mix up products that he was really proud of. And from there, that just continued to compound. The product offering grew. He ran out of space. And both my parents grew up in Southern California and they didn't want to raise their family down there. And so we ended up moving up to Washington State in 94. And from there, we had enough space to have a light manufacturing uh, area in, you know, 35,000 square feet of warehouse and uh, quickly grew into a position where we were shipping as much to New York as we were to Florida and San Diego. 
So we had to relocate our, our distribution and manufacturing to Indianapolis and we're still headquartered up here, but you know, a lot has happened and we've expanded into, you know, every major auto parts chain in the country. We still are completely vertically integrated in our chemical manufacturing with, you know, a team of chemists and quality control team, um, all the manufacturing, bottling, labeling, and distribution under one roof in Indy. And then over here in Tacoma, it's an event center and all the creative, all the, you know, the content, the photography, videos, uh, and accounting and management happens here. That's awesome. That is, man. What, how did that like evolve into such a high end brand? It seems like you guys immediately went to market as being like very, very high end. I remember you guys back from when I was a kid and it like, it would have been easy to jump in and be like a turtle wax or like any one of those guys doing but it. It was very European. Yeah, it like, felt it just yeah. felt like really fancy. You know, yeah. even as a kid, I remember looking at the ads and stuff, and I'm like, "That's that's some high end shit right there." Yeah, yeah, and you know the the tool brands are Facome, which is a French line, and Usag, which is an Italian line. And Facome was the tool provider for the McLaren F1, which was you know the supercar of the early '90s that everybody, I mean, was unbeaten in performance for so many years. And then Usag uh, was the provider of Ferrari F1. So these were commercial tools that had, you know, like relatable or I would say dream cars and dream jobs associated with them. And from like a quality perspective, they'd be on par with like a Snap-on, but you can't get Snap-on tools if unless you're in the industry and you're in the trade. Sure. So he was selling tools. I mean, we just saw bring a trailer auction for one of the toolboxes he used to sell that went for 20 grand. Wow. And he was selling that for 20 grand in the early nineties. Um, so there were, there were definitely some, you know, really lustful price points and like the cabinets that we sold, the list of boxes. I mean, it's five grand for a 36 by 36, six drawer setup. And, you know, you can stand in them, you can sleep in them. That's how he marketed them. And chemicals were a lesser focus at that time, but it was really setting your garage up with the very best stuff. And I'd say the world at the time was more conducive to being able to stock cabinets and ship cabinets and, you know, inventory 1500 SKUs of hundred dollar wrenches. So, you know, we had that ability and that's what built the business early on. Do you remember that first catalog that he designed? You said he built the mailing list. Do you remember how many people that first one went out to? What was the mailing list? Oh, it couldn't have been a lot, you know, but that uh, that Rolex reunion was, you know, I think now it's probably 20,000 cars, let alone, you know, the people that don't have cars they want to show. Um, maybe that's a little high, but I mean, there was a lot of prospects there, right? And wow. Uh, it, so it must have been, you know, a few hundred to a few thousand and that, uh, you know, would be enough to kind of get you going and get some orders. And then, as I mentioned, kind of rent a list and go poach those guys that were on the Corvette only catalog or yeah. the um, or, you know, like car and driver and road and track back when people actually used to read those magazines. Um, and you know, you could borrow those lists. You could buy those lists and, and rent them or advertise in those catalogs. Again, this all predates the internet, social media. You know, when now people are getting their news and reading about cars, like 
four weeks before the the magazine hits. So what, you're going to show me different photos of it? Like that's not a, a great value proposition anymore. Was he doing catalogs yearly or quarterly or what? Um, he was doing them quarterly. So like, you know, and then I think you'd have a holiday. Um, so about five times a year. Now we have five seasons a year. So in those seasons, we'll have, we'll have different drops. So we'll have up to 17 drops a year on a catalog. Now you're still doing print catalogs shipped out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still, there's still an art to it. It's, uh, I mean, this is a laugher, but like, Monday, our circulation manager, she was like, okay, we just got a postage increase because the USPS has a 10-year plan to solvency. I was like, that's the biggest heaping load of shit. I've ever <laughs> and so, you know, you had to get creative and the, the world we live in now, you can kind of intermix your touches with people. Like we can touch somebody twice a day in Instagram or on YouTube and you don't want to like, you know, suffocate somebody because there are brands that do that. But it, we just have to be more clever in terms of when we're when we're shipping them and just how we monitor the success. But there's no question when a catalog drops, we see its effects right away. So is we this, know that they're coming to us. There's something to be said about that, like having a tangible item in your hand. I mean, I'm old school. I still like getting a good old fashioned catalog. Yeah, I, did, I got one not too long ago. I mean, we were talking about the other day. You have one, the, the audio catalog. Yeah. The hi-fi Right, uh, it kind of like takes you, you're almost caught off guard by like, oh, this yeah. is pretty and, damn and cool. And it's, you want know, to sit back and you want to look at, you know, some receivers or these speakers or something like that. And, you know, your vintage audio or high-end, high hi-fi, it's, yeah, there's something refreshing about seeing it, you know, and it, it's got a description and it's got a price. And then you can go right down and there's the competitor and there's the next thing and, you know, whatever. Yeah, there's still yeah. still something to it. I, it's, it's cool to hear that you're still doing that many of them. As you're growing up through all of this, how early on were, were you like from the get go? Like, yep, I'm doing this shit for sure. I love this. Like I want to be in the business or how did that come about? No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I saw my dad uh, working and, you know, he used to write every single word in the catalog. And I think that was another part of the success, like why people think they know him personally, they still write him letters and he picks up the phone and, uh, and now a lot of that's my job too. You know, I get a handwritten letter and uh, I'll return it in kind and, you know, try and make somebody happy if they're dissatisfied or just validate that, Hey, we heard him. But, you know, it was, it was him writing things, you know, a lot about my, my grandma, his mother-in-law and my mom's like destroyed suburban. And um, so he'd do that late at night after uh, he'd put us all to bed and, you know, he'd be up till 2am. So he's working really hard. Um and I was always around cars. Like he always had a cool car. He didn't have quite nearly the collection that he now has, but uh, you know, we'd ride to school in cars. And and now as an adult, having kids of my own, I realize how impactful and how in love I was with those cars. But um, you know, it was always just, okay, you just graduated first grade, like get a job. And so uh, the most natural job for me was our warehouse and that, you know, you started pushing brooms and doing the grunt work and a bunch of my high school buddies and I used to just work in the back and do prep stuff. Like we'd wrap things like floor paint and shrink wrap. So when they got shipped, the UPS guy would, you know, 
as no matter how many times he punted it, it wouldn't <laughs> it would you know, survive. <laughs> yeah, it would survive. And then at the end of the day, when all the boxes were ready to go out, we'd go stack pallets. And, you know, at that point we were shipping, you know, two ton floor jacks from Italy. And so, you know, you never wanted to stack a pallet when, when jacks were, were coming through the line. And, but that was the job for the teenagers, for the lowliest guys, right? Go break your backs. And um, so that was kind of my first exposure to the brand. And then as I got older, uh, I started going into our retail store and actually having to learn our our products and learn about detailing and and be credible as credible as I could be for being 16 or 17 um, and I learned that okay like I I know the products I know how to use them and I was making like eight bucks an hour and decided I was going to start my own detailing company and make 25 bucks an hour and yeah, so fuck you did well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well now you taught me the skill and <laughs> And I, I can get it for a discount too. So I've got to... <laughs> well, the five finger discount, I just take it from the garage when I, when I'd run out. Cause I'm like, Oh, I got a detailing job at eight. Yeah. I can't go to the warehouse and restock. I'm like, I'm just lifting it from my dad's garage and uh, I'll pay him back later. But uh, that was probably the best thing I could have done. It gave me some, you know, some entrepreneurship. It, it made me learn my own standard of service. And then ultimately I, you know, had to wake up and be at somebody's house by 8 a.m. and you know, detail their car with, with my right-hand man, my buddy that ran the business with me. And by noon, you know, we'd have 200 bucks each in cash. Uh, you know, we'd do a couple cars at somebody's house and we'd go out on the lake and, and buy beer. And everybody else was still working till 5 p.m., making half as much money as we were per day. So it was a great gig. And, you know, that definitely has stuck with me. And I've always like, that was the earliest time I learned those products, but I still didn't have a lot of interest in, in the company at that point. I was just kind of defaulting into a car related skill um, and having a high level of familiarity with at least the products themselves, not the guts of, of the business and, and where it was going. So what, from there on, where did it, I mean, how did you get to where you are now from the detailing business? So um, I went to school um, in the Southeast and uh, wanted to be uh, a doctor. My, my brother's a type one diabetic and I, he found that out when I was about to graduate high school. And so I went to a school that was famous for medical research and drug development. That was Emory University in oh, Atlanta. In Atlanta. And I uh, got, you know, weeded out of those pre-med classes pretty damn quick. So, um, <laughs> But I, I, I kept detailing, like, you know, our fraternity house would have car wash fundraisers. Guess who'd supply the car wash? Uh, guys would get nice cars from their parents and absolutely thrash them. And I'd clean up all their cigarette butts and polish the paint and they'd pay me in, in whiskey and kind. And, nice. um, you know, so it was like it was still there. And then I'd go back for the summers. I'd either detail or work in the store. Um, but once I graduated, I graduated with an econ degree and came back and we were, we were restoring or remodeling this place. And I just, it was 2009 granted. Right. So all my buddies that were like going to be finance analysts were out of jobs. They went to like Africa and worked in the Peace Corps after going to Emory. Great and, time to be in finance. Yeah. In 2009. Yeah. There weren't a lot of my friends that had that fast track, 
you know, that, that started strong. Um, in fact, for me, you know, it was definitely like, okay, I, I believed I was qualified to do a lot of jobs. I didn't know Jack shit. Right. I, uh, so, but I did, you know, I did care about this place. I was interested in this building is the old Coca-Cola bottling facility. And, um, my dad had a great vision for it to, you know, have a big yard where they had all their trucks and we turned it into an event center. And I was helping him pick carpet and just come to the site every day. And my first boss ended up walking in. He was a commercial real estate broker and, uh, said, Hey, I need somebody that I don't have to pay to come follow me around until you're worthy of getting paid. And took about six months for me to get fully hired and, and start making money in commercial real estate. And, uh, and my dad was just like, yeah, go do that because I don't want you here. I want you to make sure uh, that you know that that isn't your path, that you aren't you know, going to like something else other than this, this company. And so that was, uh, that was a good push from him, right? Go learn something else. And I really, really like that industry. Have a lot of good friends that I still keep in touch with. And, you know, we have we have two pieces of real estate that have to manage and treat the same way as I was learning to do in that business. Found uh, a few of the ethical loopholes that were present in that space and uh, didn't really like that at all, but ended up landing with some pretty ethical guys and did did a lot of deals and um, you know, helped me buy and spend stupid money on cars and um, and then, you know, eventually it just kind of kept compounding where uh, in that room, people started knowing, you know, what my dad did, or, uh, you know, this big kind of uh, boiler room of brokers where you put the phone down and the guy next to you in the cubicle is listening to who you just called and they call him and tell him a better lie. And they would ask me like, hey, you're, you're from Grio's Garage, like, I've got something wrong with my car. Can you come look at it? So I'd like, you know, I'm in a suit and tie. I'm trying to look my best. I'm 23 in an old man's business. And I'd go down to parking level seven and crawl under a car with this guy who made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and could have just asked his mechanic, but asked me instead. And like, okay, I'm, I'm the car guy in this office. And part of, uh, that industry is you're like going to somebody like your shop for say, or for example, saying, okay, roads shop, I'm going to try and understand how your business operates and I'm going to go advocate on your behalf. And you have to do that five or six times. So you have to find five to six different businesses that you represent. And ultimately I knew the most about Grills garage, like what they needed, what they wanted. And I had, a, you know, so it was like, I'm dividing my energy over five different things. I'm clearly still the car guy everywhere I go. I don't want to do this anymore. And I went back to my dad's office and said, Hey, this is enough time. It was six years on. Right. And so I'd had, had plenty of time to figure that out. Said, I'm, I'm coming back to work for you. And the way he retells it is he's like, fuck. <laughs> it's like he's was, moving back into the basement. Is that kind of how he was? Yeah. Damn like, it. I was, I was going to sell this business at that point. The business is like 24 years old. We're on a hot streak and we're growing and sure. he wanted to ride it out for a few more years and, and sign off and, and go do nothing, um, which he would have deserved and does deserve. 
um, for all the work he put in. But you just said, okay, all those plans, huh? <laughs> yeah, I threw a mention it for sure. But, you know, I think now that he is retired and, and I'm in the seat, it's a totally different dynamic. But at that point, I definitely messed it up. Um, but he said, okay, your first job is you're going to go drive our truck and trailer around the country and establish a national events program. So I had four months to get a canopy, a, a TBD trailer, a Dodge Dually, and start doing events all over the country. And our first event was in Colorado, Good Guy Show. Um, absolute disaster, but we made it. And, you know, that was, we did six events this year. Now we do probably 50. Um, but I had to get my class A CDL. I had to learn how to, you know, double clutch upshift old, you know, semi trucks and uh, do do all of that. And it was like, okay, that's what I'll do. I'm I'm down for the cause. This is what I love. You You tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. It was probably a disaster because you get assholes like us. Like we were just at the good guys show and we failed to bring virtually any detail supplies. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. And the fucking cars are filthy dirty, right? And they're yeah. sitting inside and we're like, shit, dude, somebody's got to run over to Griot's. Yeah. And get to tell them it's an emergency. <laughs> yeah, we got to have this. We need some <laughs> detailing supplies bad. Yeah. Just give them like a credit card. like a check Keep it something. on file. Yeah. yeah. Well, now we're better prepared for that. Like at the time, I mean, we didn't even know how to load a trailer. You know, we had to, we got three miles down the road and realized the thing was like bouncing and we had put too much in front of the axle. So it was a, I mean, I even, I got some advice from like a truck driver friend and it's a brand new Dodge Dually pickup, right? Cummins, Allison. And he tells us like, you got to take out the, oh my gosh, I'm going to, it's going to fail me. But like, you got to unclog the water right? The water that pulls out of the diesel fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DPF so, filter. Yeah. And like, so we're, we r- tried to roll out at 8 AM. We get to like Ogden, Oregon, which is like the Northeastern corner of it. We're going to, you know, we're trying to make it to Colorado the next day. So it's midnight. We're refueling. I pull this thing out. It snaps off in my hand and diesel fuels just like pouring down onto the ground on our, you know, 300 mile truck. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh what is going to happen so i put it back in there i jam it into a point where i think it's like sealing up get down the road or start driving and all of a sudden there's just like this black smoke coming out of the back of the rig (laughs) and covering our brand new trailer which has just been detailed just been ceramic coated and like okay we gotta pull over it's midnight we fuck something up big time and sure enough like this diesel feels just pouring not even like barely going to the engine, pouring onto the exhaust manifold and just smoking up all over the uh, brand new trailer. And we had to get towed at 3 a.m. in the morning, slept in a cockroach motel, dropped the truck off at a Dodge dealership. They fixed the plug. We drove to Colorado the next day at 9 a.m. So that's how our events tour started. I was like four months into the job. Just it, all right. It is funny to hear your story because, you know, this was the family business and it is the exact opposite. Like me and Phil, we made my dad be the truck driver, right? We put him <laughs> on the road with the toter home and it's the same story except he would just destroy the fucking rig. Like the stories of the shit, he'd end up in some residential neighborhood with this like 
I don't even know what the thing weighed, but like driving up on a curb and sinking the thing. There's pictures of the thing. Like it went through the street where he went on over a manhole cover in like a subdivision. Right. And the truck is like buried about to like roll over. There's pictures of it up on a wrecker being hauled. There's, you know, blowouts and yeah. So we took a different route. (laughs) Several phone calls from people who were cut off going down the road or got coffee thrown at them. Flicked (laughs) off. Yeah. Good for the brand. Great for the brand. Oh, yeah. It, it builds character, man. I mean, <laughs> for sure. You get resourceful yeah. as shit when you're on the road, though, and something breaks down and you can, well, you, you can piece some it. stuff you together. Yeah, yep. You know, you don't have a choice. You got to, you're, you're remote. You're like trying to make sales in a parking lot somewhere. And, uh, you know, windstorm comes up, destroys the canopy. That's what happened to us in Columbus. Our huge canopy got flipped over onto the roof, ripped the welds off the mm. side of the trailer. It's just like, that's another week on the road yep. and you got to deal with it. But that was good seasoning for sure. For sitting at a desk and doing spreadsheets. I'll say that much. <laughs> Quite a different. Yeah. It was right in the thrown in the gauntlet. That's beneficial to know it all. You know, you've driven the truck, you've swept the floors, moved your way up the ladder. That was, that was always part of the, the plan. You know, you can't, can't run the business unless you know every part of the business. Of course. And uh, I don't want to do IT. I struggled enough with Zoom today. So, <laughs> um, but and luckily we have the ability to hire people that that enjoy that now. But uh, every other aspect, you know, you got to spend time. You got to you got to get in the weeds and and go and learn it. And the guys that drive the truck and show up at our events, they're the front line. They're the happiest people on planet Earth, but they're working the hardest job. There's no question. They're away from their families. They got to be happy because every person they meet is an opportunity to expand the brand. Um, yeah, it is. It's tough for sure. So where did you find your sweet spot and make your impact on Creote's Garage? I mean, you're, you're growing up, you're getting in there at a young age, and now you're running the show. What, what did you do differently? Products, 100%. Um, we have a great team that we were able to to hire uh, just in terms of our chemistry that, you know, we, we kind of, I, I missed this part of the story, but we were buying, um, you know, the production from, uh, we bought a production or manufacturing from a company who we were licensing some of our formulas to that we had developed. We they were peeling off. They were going to make paints and coatings, so they couldn't make anything with silicone. So we bought that, and then on top of that, we had to invest in chemists and a lab. And uh, after the, you know, I came off the road. I was under one guy in our product development department because again, I'd been working with and selling these products for now, you know, fifteen years. And he he ended up leaving, and there was nobody to kind of default to and. That being said, we had some good you know, complimentary staff that are still with us that are excellent. Some are more pro-oriented and have been responsible for some really incredible products and some are more junior and they are, again, coming from the same progression of you learn how to sell, you then go into detailing, you have experience, you develop those bad experiences out in the products. And so um, when I was you know, leading that team, we kind of were willing to invest in more infrastructure and more projects that really in that time, this is not my own doing alone. 
Um, but that's where I had the most fun. And those products that we were working on as a team were really making an impact and changing people's perception of our of our chemicals from more of an enthusiast brand to one that, you know, hey, really could achieve professional results, have a spot in, you know, some refinishing spaces and high-end builders shops and the tools and accessories to complement that. So that is by no mean like my own doing, but that's where I think everybody saw, okay, if you can lead that team, that's pretty damn critical. Um, and now we got we got to fill you out and teach you the rest of the the business, um, you know, so that that you can you can lead it and put a plan together on on how that's gonna how that's gonna happen over you know a series of years. Do you remember what uh, when it <clears throat> or what your dad said or what you did when he was like whether he said it to you or not when you realized like I've I've done it and he or he said like yep finally I think you've got it you know, to, to take the next step or for him to kind of move back even further. Yeah, I think it, it, it's, it comes from that same like confidence of it, in the products. Like when you have your hands in it and you work it, you go back and forth, um, you know, sometimes 10 times to get it right, sometimes 70 to a hundred. And then you go show that to, you know, our biggest customers. And so um, the difference between what I'm doing now and what I was doing in commercial real estate was you'd go and like sell somebody information that you had gleaned from somebody else. And you were just kind of trying to be, you know, the little squeaky wheel until they said, fine, just like find me a building to buy or I'll lease that space if you'll stop bothering me. But you're kind of just always prodding, right? You didn't have anything to sell. Here we have a tangible product happens to have my name on it, but I also know what we've compared it to in developing, what we're trying to make it be, and to be able to like advocate that so clearly and honestly on a big stage, such as a you know an AutoZone or an advanced auto parts, and know that you know my dad's sitting over there in the corner. He doesn't have to say a word. He's seeing me do it. And then they buy it. It's like that's a big deal. Um but it's it's when you're kind of trained in that like desperation commission only mode, and then you have something that's actually good that you can sell, it's easy. Um, and I think that was the, you know, the lights weren't too bright, right? I could go do it. And, and I was passionate about it and had my, you know, hands in it. And so that was when he said, hey, I don't even need, need to be there. You've got this. You know, you, you can take it from here. That's awesome. That's badass. Looking oh. looking back on it for him, does he? I would assume so. He probably thinks it was a phenomenal decision to to not bail at a wait, early age. I mean, he must have been in his fifties, maybe sixties, and now the things I'm assuming has grown exponentially from the point when he was like, "Yeah, it's time to unload this thing, and I'm going to go buy a couple of race cars and sit on the beach and then go fuck around with my race cars." Yeah, I mean he's not he's not old by any means. He's sixty three, um, so he's still got got plenty left to do. And again, you're gonna he's gonna go wheel some some race cars this week with me, and nice. that's been a great thing to be able to do with him. And uh, but I, I think yeah, he he would say it, and like you know you you look outside the world right now, and okay, there's some uncertainty. But thirty three years in business, you've seen a couple waves right you've ridden them so you don't know when 
to step off the top floor of the elevator or when you're going to catch the falling knife on, on the way down. So I think he kind of had uh, probably the more of an existential challenge. Like, I don't know if I'm going to know what to do if I don't do this. And so there's, there's a secondary part to that story because he's still doing everything related to cars, but there's another little business venture. That's a lot lower stress. Um, that's a restoration shop that, that my brother actually runs, uh, that we have down the hill that we're doing some pretty cool stuff in not, not roadster shop level yet. Uh, but definitely a pretty damn cool, uh, setup. But I think that's more what it was. Like it's not a bemoaning that he should have sold at a certain time. It's more, I have to know that I can leave it in good hands. And so I'm only one part of that to be sure. Like we have an incredible team of people that compliment me again, IT guy, maybe being one of them, but also more um, like an operational backbone that has made us a pretty sophisticated business. So we have, you know, crazy lunatics out here dreaming and, and wanting to do more car wax and, high-end tools. And then people were like, Hey, in reality that costs money and we have to like keep the lights on and operate. So it, if we didn't have that, like I'd, I'd be struggling a lot more. Um, and, and, you know, leading with passion is only so much, but you need a, a complimentary team and, and we definitely have that. So I think that's part of the comfort level of him leaving as well is that for whatever I'm not, there are people in the building that, that can help fill that in. Yeah, before we get into you telling us more about the restoration shop, because I didn't know anything about that, uh, I will. I want to give you a compliment and tell you how good of a job, tremendous job you've done in the marketing of your brand and of your company to all markets. Um, obviously, we've been you know at good guys and in the hot rod side for for since you started getting on the road and running the truck, you know. Um, <clears throat> but in exotic car and supercar world you're renowned, you're known. I mean, we talk to people that, you know, customers that have some of that stuff and they've got that stuff in their garage all the way down to my son. My son's 16 years old. He's got his first car. He's a detail freak fanatic now. So he's reading and he's coming to me. He's like, Hey, I want this Griot's Canon. And I'm like, yeah, I know those guys, you know, that's fine. We'll put it up, put, put your list together. Maybe for your birthday, you know, he's putting stuff. And you're like, dude, this stuff's really fucking expensive. And I'm about to do a podcast <laughs> with him. So like write it all down. And he's just, he's, but for a 16 year old kid that could just search anything, you know, he's came, he made his own decision and, and yeah. said that your foam cannon was the foam cannon, you know, kit that that's the one he wanted, you know, and that's the stuff. Hey, I want these rags are different than other rags. I yeah. want to get this too. Oh, and they've got this tire shine. That's different than other tire shines. I want this. So hats off to you, man. I mean, for, we, we look at it from a marketing standpoint all the time, but if you can reach a 16 year old kid yeah. all the way up to you know, a high net worth guy that runs in completely different circles. That's pretty broad spectrum. Oh yeah. Man, you better get on that quick well, because he might not have a car in the it's next a, I mean, it is, a, it's, it's a great brand. Even for me, like, you know, people give us detail supplies all the time and you've got 50 different quick detailers in the cabinet here that you never know where the stuff came from. And not just like saying this cause you're on, on the podcast, but honestly, when it, when I'm wiping a car down or something, I'll reach right past all that stuff because there'll be like a Griot's quick detailer and a bag of your rags. And there's just, it's associated with being very high quality. So you kind of trust you it. feel the know? difference instantly too. Yeah. No bullshit. I mean, that's just, so hats off to you on the marketing for side for sure, let alone the products. Well, and, and look, I mean, I'm going to 
I was your son, right? Like I was that age seeing like, and, and what I would reiterate to him, and I would love to, to talk to him because we used to have like a young entrepreneur's kit where that was always part of, you know, my dad's push and just his dad's push. Again, serial entrepreneurs that just said, hey, go do it yourself, go figure it out. And when you're 16, uh, you know, you want independence and, you know, you can earn things your own way and you don't have to have a car to do that. Um, you know, one of the things that was most lucrative for me was going to uh, golf clubs because golfers are dirty. And there was one within walking distance of my house. And I got my license suspended, like right after I turned 16. He sounds very similar <laughs> to my son. <laughs> I think he, <laughs> How much so I had to get driven keys. around to remote jobs and find the local jobs uh, so that I could save up for stuff to do to my car while I was parked in my garage. Um, but, you know, and, and that's the reality. Like I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was, you know, I was. Just doing doing car stuff. Um, yeah, there's, great- some, there's something else you were thinking of. I'm sure it's the same thing. Myself. <laughs> that's that's yeah. what you needed the car for. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you need, yeah, you need the car to go there. Yeah, so it all starts there. But no, I think from a marketing perspective, um, you know, the kind of heard me say it. Like my dad's voice was in the catalog. People thought they were talking to him. They could relate to what he was saying, and he had high standards. And but he also lived a life that was real. So you know that your wife drives her car and cares for her car differently than, you know, you have a car that conveys you to work. And then you have potentially, if you're lucky enough, and some people in in America, we have, you know, more cars than people, um, you know, a third car that you treat differently. That's your baby. How do you approach that? The thing that links all these things together, they have similar systems and similar paint, or or they have paint, right? But you always are gonna have glass. You're gonna have some interior material. Hopefully you have some paint on your car, not begrudging or, or bemoaning right. rods or anything like that, but they still have wheels. They still have rubber. So you have to find a way to appeal to all of them. And then to your point, it's the generational divide that's between my dad and I, like I've got to show him the digital age because I've got to build the next round of customers. He knows the catalog space and the people that appreciate the tangible things and with both of us together, you know, I have, I talked to him four or five times a day. I was in his office all day today, uh, bending his ear about, you know, years that we're going to select at uh, Road America, but he doesn't have to manage the guts, but he's got great instincts and he still cares about this company. And I do want to inspire the next generation of folks. And I know that um, I like American cars better than my dad, does he likes european cars but then i'm warming up to japanese cars that i never liked before and knowing like okay you're just finding all sorts of markets within there um and can create aspirations and ultimately like you guys build some pretty high-end stuff and to think that the guys that are buying it are going to be able to fix all of it and wrench on it uh, probably not you know, a, a great conclusion, right? They're going to pay. And I wish they could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I mean, I'll, I'll, I got a good story about me panicking over like the most minor thing um, because I know where my skill stops. But one of the things that a lot of people can do is clean their cars and present them differently. You can swap your wheels. You can put stickers on them. But, you know, if, if there are two red Dodge Chargers driving down the street, and one has well-polished paint, the other one's oxidized and looks like crap, it doesn't matter. Uh, 
you know, one of those guys cares for their car better. Yeah. Like just, it, it, that's the perception that I'm going to have. And so, you know, you can't go mess with a lot of modern ECUs without a lot of high end knowledge. You know, you put a cold air intake on a modern Duramax and it performs worse unless you, tu- you know, chip tune it. So you can't even do the basic stuff right. to do. But um, you can keep it clean. You can't keep it clean. So I think that's a way that a lot of people spend time around their cars and particularly more modern ones. Um, I just find it interesting. I, I would love to hear your dad's view or opinion or his mindset. I mean, you're talking about a guy, like you said, that put the kids to bed and sat there and, and wrote the lines and the stories and the articles and stuff in his catalog, right? So he's connecting, trying to connect with his consumer on a, on a very different level, right? And then fast forward to now and you're selling a foam cannon like via TikTok on a TikTok video of spraying, you know, a, a Subaru BRZ or whatever down, you know, and that's boom. Somebody sees that, that video goes viral. And there's, it's, that's yeah. a, com- that's two opposite ends of the spectrum for the same company. Uh, I, I, yeah, trust me. I, <laughs> I don't have TikTok. But, uh, you're still but, connecting with them on the same core. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're creating. Yeah, I know, you know, it's just, uh, it might, yeah, but, uh, and, you know, it's come full circle now because I'm the same way. Like I should be at the office until 9 p.m. every night, but I, I go home and put my kids to bed and then I, I turn back on. So I'm, I'm, I'm right back there. It's not the same. There's definitely some writing and some copy, but it is more like it, now it's scripting, right? It's, it's uh, storyboarding about those pieces of content that uh, we're going to put out. So it, it's the same, but different. And I mean, yeah. when you can blend them all together, that's a pretty powerful, well-rounded marketing message that, yeah, I, I don't know where the TikTok thing is going, data goes, but like phone cannon seems pretty benign relative to what else I've heard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you don't know like what that phone <laughs> cannon spraying out of. You know, well, that's... Yeah, I don't know how somebody else is going to manipulate it, what basement yeah. they're right. calling it, but... As long as they buy it, it doesn't really matter. Well, the, yeah, I mean, the generational thing is interesting across the board. I always wonder, you know, maybe this is your secret sauce or something, but how do you combat like, all right, you've got these other competitors who are out there and they've got like wild ass, like bright colored bottles. And it's all like nano bead technology with ceramic nylon woven polymers and this and that. And then you've got speed shine and a clear bottle with just like a simple logo on it. That's the exact, that's, that's why. Well, it's, it's, it's right. Yeah. But it, it, but it, but I'm the guy that's like, fuck all that. That's, that looks pretty that's probably yeah. some pretty high-end stuff right there. I was wondering the so, same thing. How do you figure out when to stop innovating but still be on the cutting your, edge without getting gimmicky, car. I guess? That's that's a hard thing. And I mean, you know, I, I think that we're a pretty um, – there's a lot of companies in our space, including some foreign companies that make excellent products that are kind of small enough that they slip under the radar But um, with regards to regulatory stuff. But first of all, you got to know – everything that's out there, what is real and what isn't. And I think that from that perspective, you can build kind of a case around these companies that are out there. And there are many that are legitimate and are good people to like, you know, kind of the Stallone Schwarzenegger, like kind of iron sharpening iron with regards to Rambo commando. Rambo Rambo whoops Schwarzenegger's ass. Oh (laughs) man. In any scenario. Careful. 
man. Any scenario. Uh, <laughs> I like them all. I, 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 like I'm, I'm not a Ford guy, not a Chevy guy. But so the, when you see a brand that you've kind of profiled a certain way, you, you one have to give them from my perspective, I've got to buy it. I've got to know what it is, right? I've got to, I've got to test it, but you can start to see some desperation slip into some of those things where, Oh, we've been left behind. I, the recent example of ceramics is like, you know, somebody overstating what the product's capable of. And it's a brand that hasn't launched a new product for five years. That's been selling their wax for $7. And then all of a sudden comes out out of nowhere with no developmental progression and says, this is a graphene ceramic infused. They don't even know what the fuck they're saying. (laughs) They just say it all and put some hologram on it and then sell it for $17. And to me, that's like the, that's the curly toed loafer guy that I fight who sits up (laughs) in an office and, and doesn't wear, you know, t-shirts and jeans to work because he's not washing a car. He doesn't care. Um, You know, he's just managing, you know, profit margins and and watching trends and watching data. Um, Whereas ultimately, you know, the, the, power of a brand and the longstanding nature of this one. And what we've always done is not over promise. It does what it says it's going to do. And if you don't like that, you're calling Richard, you're calling my dad um, via either the call center, or you're probably going to get him if you just stay on the line long enough where you're writing him a letter and he's going to call you back. So I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm paid to do is answer pissed off people. So I'm not going to misrepresent anything to him. We're going to give them something that works. And sure, there's something that can probably do incrementally more, but hopefully they don't overpromise that it can go that much further. Otherwise, they're not getting that bottle we bought. And this is a consumable good. So yeah. I have to earn your trust once and keep it. And if if I fail you, then I've got to earn it back some other way. And the reality is you're coming to a person who cares about it, um, who wants you to be happy around your car. And I'm not going to, you know, tell you that this is something, I mean, we, we make fun of this. Like we did an April fool's joke a couple of years ago and, you know, we were riffing on, Oh, we're just going to add unobtainium, like the mineral yeah, from here. That's Avatar. really good. <laughs> and like, we're going to, we're going to charge it. We got a federal grant. Like we're just going to build a jackasses and we're going to fool you. Right. And like, that was like our, what we made fun of. So we're not even close to that, but, and I would say, there's some really reputable brands that have been around for a while and some up and coming brands that have good stuff. Um, but if they get too proud of their stuff or they create too much paradox of choice, you're just going to confuse a customer. And then they're going to come back to that simple bottle and say, shit, this is window cleaner. I just need to clean my windows. Yep. You know, well, that's how I, when you're, it's a different dynamic when you're wiping down like a hundred thousand dollar paint job or you're wiping down your $15,000 truck. I mean, there, there could be catastrophic results in that situation. So when yeah. you're looking at glass cleaner and stuff like that, like I'm prone to grab the one that's just blue and says glass cleaner. Cause if it's mm-hmm. something gimmicky off the wall, you're like, man, what if that just gets a little bit it. over the glass and gets on the roof and just prints into the paint. And now I've got a problem. So those gimmicky things to me make me a little nervous. I mean, obviously I'm not like a detailer, but I've been around this stuff long enough, but even this, like all the ceramic coating stuff makes me nervous. There's just, too many little gimmicky things and some of this stuff. They're old school. Yeah. Um, That's meat, fine. meat and potatoes and kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. You know what? If, if you 
take good care of your cars. You have a good place to store it that you may not ever have a need for that. But, you know, on that same perspective, like I'll, I'll chalk up um, like somebody who wants to build their dream car who doesn't have a shop and they they're fighting money and time. Well, they're going to call you guys. Right. Um, and say, Hey, I don't, I don't know how long you have to wait to have you guys build a car, but I've got the money to do it. I don't have the time to do it. The same applies to like somebody who buys like a brand new Ferrari and says, I want the Ferrari to show people I have a Ferrari, put everything on it, put paint protection film, put a uh, ceramic coating. How much is that? $10,000. Yeah. I just farted that. Like just do it for me. Um, so there's, there's this mix between there and that's what we call the pro enthusiast where they're advanced users that can use that stuff. But on the, on the back end, there's a very traditional care regimen that has always been true and always been good, but that may not be the same one you apply to, you know, the car you use this way or the car that you have this. And if you have the luxury of multiple cars, you can have multiple care regimens, which means, Hey, there's room for more products, but let's not confuse anybody. Otherwise, they won't know what the hell to do. That's a good um, way of looking at it. It is. So you tell us about the restoration shop. Okay. So um, so we have car problems, big time. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> and like there's you know, there's no like flavor here in in my dad's collection and my collection is just kind of like what appeals to us and so we've had we had excess space in this headquarters uh, that Richard was going to use for a restoration shop. And really, it was just like a wall about, you know, 4000 square feet. And we had a, a guy who was our early R&D guy and he came in and said, hey, I want to wrench on cars. And um, in that space, we put together some pretty cool stuff. We restored, um, you know, a Nicky Lauda Formula One car, uh, 1975 Formula One car. Uh, didn't do the engine, didn't do the paint, but like reassembled it back here. So we had some pretty light capabilities. Um, and then we hired a couple more guys and all of a sudden, you know, they want to paint, they want to weld. And they're doing that next to finished cars, right? So I can't continue. And uh, enter my brother who has been studying abroad and um, is the I'm one of four kids. Two of us got bitten by the car bug. The other two, they don't care at all. Um, and so my dad was like, all right, we're going to separate the powers here. And my brother, Philip is going to go down the hill and we're going to, we ended up being able to buy the property right next door to us, which was a, a storage facility. So it was all clear span. And uh, we added um, a paint booth and like a indoor wash bay and detailing area. So two things that we didn't have up in this facility. So we've got a you know downdraft prep bay and then a downdraft or a, a again, I, this is where my expertise runs out, but we've got two paint booths now. Um, and then a, the ability to do indoor washing, uh, dry ice blasting and restoration, and then a separate shop that's all fab reassembly. The only thing we don't do is interior, but we started that in June of 2020 and it had been going on back here for about 10 years. And it's all young guys that kind of had come out of, you know, high production, um, you know, dealerships that had a passion and wanted to, you know, learn and do other things and have some freedom to work on their own stuff. 
And it's a madhouse. And we've had, you know, since they like started slow and my dad was their biggest customer. Now, you know, we've got a wait list and people are wanting us to do, um, you know, anything from just like getting their car running right. We're not doing just oil changes, but like go through the top end of this motor and uh, fix the clutch. And this two full custom builds that, you know, we'll debut our first custom build at SEMA this year. Um, Awesome. And it's, it's pretty sweet. You know, it's good to have a sister company right down the hill. We can go pull cars from and say, Hey, let's test this metal polish on that old Chrome or the fresh Chrome or whatever it may be. Uh, Let's test it on original sixties Ferrari clear coat or this refinished, you know, stuff that's softer than snot, you know, like we're, we're going to find the medium there and I don't know about about testing it on like original sixties Ferrari paint. Like, you must be fairly confident in it already beforehand. In the door jams. And- yeah, or somewhere yeah, behind yeah. the gas door. Well, you measure, right? You get a paint gauge, you measure. And uh, and my dad can spot refinished cars from a mile away. Like, he's he's pretty good at that. And so I've developed my eye quite a bit. But ultimately, we always tell people, if you, if you don't know if it's original or not, measure. Right? Get a get a paint thickness gauge and, and go around there and, and see, what you, see what kind of material you've got to work with. Like, I learned pretty early on a you know, original paint 59 Invicta, you know, just kind of going through this like little crease on the door. What the threshold is there. <laughs> I'm polishing black and it turns brown. Oh shit. Uh, I gotta go tell dad. Cause I just <laughs> fucked this thing. Up. Yeah. I just fucked it up. So, um, learn some caution, but definitely have some confidence to approach cars like that for sure. But yeah, I mean, we need to have that to your point, we have to have the supercar credibility. We have to have the vintage car credibility. We gotta have the modern OEM car credibility. And and can we, you know, occupy all those spaces? I believe so. Um, but we can't do it if if we don't actually go out and represent it and show it and prove that it can be done. Well, tell us about your your own car collection, specifically the 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 Lincoln is what I would like to know about, and then get into the Jeep and some of the other cool shit you've got. I know you've got, I think we you've got just one of my favorite cars. The hey, station wagon? you got some good taste, That's man. pretty cool, too. <laughs> the, the, the station wagon's badass. Yeah, that, that one's, uh, I mean, the, the problem, and you guys probably know this, is that, you know, you get to, like, a, a point with a car where you're happy, and you've got this other car that you're already happy with, but then you look at it, and you're like, oh, shit, I got to do, you know, what's next on that? What am I going to do after that? Because everything's working. I shouldn't mess with it. Yeah, but right. I'm me. I'm gonna mess with it. So, um, yeah, I started. I mean, it started really early. Like my dad, we restored cars with him. That was like our first thing. When we were 15. We got to we got to pick a car that uh, we wanted to restore together, and we have a great home garage. Um, you know that again has its limitations uh, relative to what can be done, but you can definitely learn a lot. And we spent a lot of time with my dad. And my first car was a '71 Camaro. I still own that car. Um, and, you know, interned at a fab shop in high school and, and worked with guys setting up my gears and doing all that. So I was learning on and restoring cars, um, you know, since I was a teenager and, um, ultimately when I started, you know, making some money in real estate, I started looking at and got, you know, started looking at other cars that I couldn't get good advice from my father relative to like, yeah don't spend your money on cars, save it. So, so you bought um, a Range Rover. 
No, I didn't do anything. <laughs> <No>, for... <laughs> That's a low blow on the commercial <laughs> real estate guys. Been oh, it up no, 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 no. If, you, if a, you're um, a commercial realtor, don't you? Isn't a requirement they issue you own you that when you get your license. Range Rover? No, I mean up here, yeah, up here maybe. Do, there are guys that do that, but not. I mean, that's not me. Like I bought a, I bought a C6 Corvette. That was my real estate car nice. um, when they were debuting the C7. Um, so like I bought it out of New Jersey. I, I was super stoked about it. I drove that thing through the snow. I thrashed on it. Um, but that that's a, a later thing. But the the Lincoln was um, probably the first one since my Camaro that I actually like sunk my teeth into and wanted to do a lot of the work myself. And then um, kind of ran out of ran out of time and was making money. So you know how that goes. It just um, and my mom grew up um so she like hated my camaro she she grew up in southern california and the guys that drove camaros and um el caminos were not upstanding citizens so she's just like muscle cars are are not my thing so i could never like convince her that that was a like hey i put like a lot of time and energy into that thing i love it um but she was she rode to school in the lincoln when she was a little girl and so she always told me like buy a Lincoln, buy a Lincoln, do a Lincoln. And uh, when my wife and I bought our house, we got this photo album. Um, the story's been told a few times, but it's pretty damn cool. And it's an old mid-century modern house that was totally a shit show. Um, Should have walked away from that. But uh, historical photo album. The guy had lived there since the the fifties, and there's a picture from you know mid seventies, and he's got two Lincoln Continentals in the carport at the house. Had a white hardtop and a black convertible, and literally closed on the house. Bought a '63 Lincoln ten days later, um, and got that thing home. Started tearing it down, and uh, it slowed down a lot because that's the time I was traveling, driving around the country. So I was, you know, gone three weeks a month. But lots of employees from Grios were coming back to our home garage and just like chemically stripping it, kind of doing some really thorough. You know just storing the parts and um and then eventually like okay this thing's gonna sit here or we're not gonna get it done and that's when i met uh jared hancock of j rod and custom and said hey man i need you to need you to help me get this car to the finish line and so we kind of cooked up this this concept that was a blend of like kind of some of my i don't know i mean pro touring is a thing now it's not even like derived from any European influence, but I wanted a, I didn't want to like low and slow Lincoln. I wanted something with some attitude. And, um, I think the 430, you know, it can be, um, it can be tuned to make some good power, but you just have a lot more ways you can go with a small block. And, but I didn't want to, I wanted it to be carbureted. I wanted to have like a super tall stall. So it just like, you know, just really choky, nasty, bad black bitch. And, um, you know, we started looking at the car together and thought, okay, the front end is, is going to be open for some interpretation. Cause you got this big license plate frame that kind of indents what otherwise is a really beautiful run of a front bumper. And then you've got space to tub the wheels out towards the fenders. Um, and so we took that space back and got those wheels in there and, Put it on coilovers, and I don't know if this is a dirty word or not, but Art Morrison helped us do a four-link. 
uh, yeah, for the he's he li- he's right down the street from us, uh, and uh, so we we put it on coils with a four link rear, and uh, right tack coils fit in the front housing and but big bare brakes on it and as big a wheels as we could. And we got a nasty four twenty seven that you know, has five hundred thirty five horsepower and a very tall you know stall and just it galunks 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 and does burnouts and is. Awesome. It's a awesome. rad looking car. If you had told me that like a Lincoln should have a little chin spoiler, I'd be like, you're crazy. But it looks, yeah, it looks the front end of that thing is bitching. Yeah. It looks pretty mean, you know, and those cars, that, that design in my mind hasn't aged at all. Like people still, I, I remember I showed that car in Iowa, uh, 2016 or 2017 and I left to go to the bathroom. I came back and uh, I actually actually won your your award, uh, the Roadster Shop Style and Engineering Award. That time I showed that car. Um, it's a good looking car. And I come back to the car and there's a guy under it. Like his legs are just sticking out the rear end. And I'm like, sir, like, what the hell are you doing? And crawls out, it's Mike Ring, Ring Brothers. And <laughs> he's like, whoever did this exhaust, that boy can weld. Like he is awesome. And so we started talking, his wife comes over and she's like, Oh, I really like this thing. Like who did your door handles? And Mike's like, honey, those are stock. Um, she's like, Oh, that's really nice. Who did the mirrors? Those are stock. Who did the X? I mean, she must've picked out like four design cues that she thought were totally custom that were just as the car was. So I think it's a, pretty damn awesome design and I didn't really chop it up too much. I think it could, you know, return to its stock ride height. Not that I'd ever want to do that. Um, man, it's, just, it's nasty. Dude, I'm guessing Mike ring was just taking a nap. Like wait, if he was laying, <laughs> he he, tired. you caught him you off guard he and he's like, Oh, the exhaust. Look at that. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. He was just, his <laughs> old ass was, was taking was a nap. Three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. He was sure sleepy. He was taking a nap. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's cool to meet him because you know that's another i mean that's where the car community is so awesome like you know there's there's definitely some competition relative to uh well there's sanctioned competitions where you're trying to build something but ultimately you're trying to make your customer happy if you're building something that is their dream but you start talking about x y or z and you're totally disarmed like the cars are just transcendent they really can, are. um that's probably what's shocking about that lincoln too i mean it's it's an obnoxiously loud car that's you know got a lot of like bling and flash to it and probably costs more than a lot of cars on the road but i mean people walk up to it and it's like female male young old they're just like older folks definitely have more stories about them but young people definitely you know freak out about that car too so i i had no idea that build a car like that that would have mass appeal outside the car community but it definitely there's just cars that do that that have that phil talks about that with the miata all the time it just doesn't matter where you take it that <laughs> it doesn't matter people. yeah i mean kids young old i mean enthusiasts people that aren't even into cars are like that's that's such it's a cool a sports a car they say cute though mostly right yeah. it's a, that's such a cute car they'll do the four-door suicide <laughs> suicide door lincoln it will forever be badass oh absolutely. I mean, it's one of those cars i, I want I just know it's a good the, thing you did a, a hard top though instead of a convertible. Yeah. Because you want to talk they're about da- well, they're dangerous, dude. The convertibles, yeah. you know, they don't you know, stop. Yeah, I live in Seattle, man. I don't have a choice. Yeah. You know. Um, well, I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna 
speak out loud. It's Tacoma. We're the okay. people that work. Seattle is, you know, <laughs> don't talk about Seattle. Good for right. the uh, the clarification. What about the Jeep? Yeah. Where'd the Jeep come about? So you'll you'll start to the, hear a theme with me, and I think this is like where I know that I'm I'm doing the right thing every day. But I, cars to me, there's like a there's a sentimental aspect to them that that pretty much gets me to start rolling the snowball down the hill. So when I was young, I uh, we, we have a family farm. And my, my grandpa retired and moved up as far away from humanity and people as possible. Um, Sounds awesome. <laughs> and uh, my grandma liked Jeep Grand Wagoneers. So uh, she had a, a Wagoneer when I was young and my brothers would go up. My brothers and I have got two other brothers and a little sister. And we'd go up to the farm. And what was so much fun about that is they'd put us in the back of the Wagoneer, no seatbelts. And we'd just cruise around this this little island and... Um, you know, window rolled down. Now I know the amount of carbon monoxide we're getting probably have something to do with my mental capacity. But you're still um, chasing that high. Get, get yeah, yeah, that's why he built it. It well, made me I, feel so good. Hey, drive me around. I'm gonna get in the back. I'm gonna roll the window down. Trust me, the the Jeep I have I had enough leaks that I was probably still getting a lot of it. Um, but no, I, so I always had this this like romance about that car. And my, my family was kind of growing and my, I grew up, you know, taking road trips with my dad in, in cool old cars. Um, we had a 72 Suburban that he restored that we went all over the country in. Uh, and so I wanted that experience for, for my family and uh, just like a, a cool old car, but I wanted it to be more modern. And so I started, I, I bought one, I bought three actually. And one on eBay, I went down, saw it, I ripped the check in half, was like, I'm not fucking touching that one. I bought another one that I literally said, okay, you know, send me pictures of this and like press on this. Okay, they pressed on the floorboards, finger went through. He goes, oh, okay, I'm presuming you don't want this car. I was like, no, I don't want that car. So I was being dumb, you know, buying these things sight unseen, but I was at least building some some space for for rejection relative to like, Hey, it's not as represented. And then I finally got smart, went down to Arizona, a uh, guy who sells uh, Wagoneers exclusively, not wagon master who I've gotten to know, um, you know, chip now. And, um, and then also like Jeep heritage, who I know you guys sell some frames to um, Daniel is awesome. And there's a car, there's a Jeep that I, I sent you pictures of that we're going to talk about, but uh, I, I found the right one and started to like, again, just kind of build these things progressively. I didn't want to do it all in one go like I did with the Lincoln. I was like, I've got a five-year plan for this. Um, and so started fixing everything, EGR valve, radiator, uh, had to like shave the um, the header to fit properly because I had a bad exhaust leak. Drove to dinner, radiator blew up like two days after I fixed it. I was like, okay, this, this motor is just an absolute train wreck. And LS swapped it and put a L96 in there and uh, a 4L60E. And there's a company down in Utah, Novak um, Jeep conversions that sells an adapter plate for a connecting cruise uh, GM setup. And, you know, you've got to buy uh, motor mounts from them. And then 
the transmission essentially like can hook right up to the um, transfer case that's in the in the Jeep, which is a good one. So did that, put like five, 6,000 miles on that thing with a four inch lift and then saw my life flash before my eyes. This couldn't be any more ironic, but like some guys pulling out of a prosthetics area or store on my way home from work on a sunny day. No, you know, it's not slick or anything. Apply the brakes. They lock up. I like skid to a stop as this old man, like literally looks up at me and I've got this, you know, massive lifted Jeep that I'm about to, you know, take off the front end of his car. And I was like, I can't put my family in this car and go to Wyoming or wherever else I want to go. So that's when you guys got the call. Nice. <laughs> I, um, we, we, we actually explored like linking it and doing it ourselves, like, and, and just the, it was 150,000 mile frame on the car and like boxing it and doing this stuff where I'm like, okay, Jared's at J Rod custom is like penciling shop hours. And I'm like, Ooh, we don't even know if we can do that. And it's expensive. Like I got to go find a, find a solution. And obviously you guys had a great platform and that was the way I could get, you know, bigger brakes on it and get a better suspension set up. And I think I told you, Jeremy, like I, I got that thing installed and, and drove it. It to, totally like changed my life. Cause I love that Jeep. I had done everything I could to it. You know, there's all sorts of little knickknacky things that I could do myself before I had to make that jump. But it, it truly like, you know, it was the best thing I could have done to that, awesome. that truck. Oh, those uh, Instagram videos I saw like driving through the deep snow, like so cool. fresh after getting it done. I was like, that's breaking it in. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So there's a, there's a really stupid story from that too. Um, <laughs> so that was two days after I got the, the truck back. So like I've got, we, we went from 4L60E while the, that thing was a rebuilt trans and it was, it was causing me all sorts of problems. Like my gauges would turn off. It wouldn't link up. Like it, it was weird. So I went to a 6L80E when I did the frame swap and that was awesome. The thing like gets up and scoots and it's kind of kind of silly now, but I, um, I read your manual. So this is my bad. Um, and load up the family. It's the 26th of December and we're going down to bend Oregon and it's the biggest snowstorm we've had in like eight years. Perfect timing. I'm like, okay. Like my wife's looking at me like, you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. She's like, okay. And I trust you. Two kids, my dog, roof rack, and uh, start going down. We're going down I-5, and she's like, I want to stay on I-5 and go on this pass because I we can pull over and I can you know, breastfeed the baby. I'm like, okay, whatever. It ended up being the worst decision ever. Uh, <laughs> it got so fucking sketchy so fast. Like, it's a two-lane road all the way. You know, it's like a little bit more of a straight cut, but it was white out and my windshield wipers were freezing. My defrost wasn't working. And then I'm my dumbass didn't realize that I've got manually locking hubs on this new axle because oh. I've just jumped out of a car where, hey, they lock, right? You hit four wheel drive, you're locked up, you're ready to go. Um, so I'm in two wheel drive for this whole escapade with... <laughs> You know, Dang. tire like a you know four somethings in the back and a, a six-speed transmission. I'm in first and second gear, so I'm like 
Wow, wow, wow. Drifting everywhere. I'm all over. I can't see shit. I've got my head out of the window. I'm like de-icing it with my hand and my wife's like rubbing it dry. Like it was so damn sketchy. And I get down there. I'm like, hey, what? You know, I, I called Jared. I'm like, dude, I don't think four wheel drive was engaged at all. He's like, did you lock the hubs? And I was like, oh my God. I just drove 500 miles. <laughs> all I had to do is turn those little things. Turn those little things <laughs> and it would have been fine. And I would have had, you know, all the, all the good oh, stuff. Man. But it, yeah. That's why we do our legend series stuff because you just turn the button. now. you turn the knob. It's electric lock. It has. Yeah. yeah. Completely. Well, shit. I mean, the, the old system was all, you know, just vacuum. You just, you could be cruising and just switch it over. You're in four wheel drive. You don't even have to stop. Like it was just boom right away. I mean, you wouldn't want to do it at like 60, but sure. it was, you know, it was brainless. So I, again, it could have been the kids screaming in the back or my wife just like viciously staring at it's me. A, it's and, always easier to blame it on them. I mean, I generally do that with my wife. It's right. usually, mo- it's usually the wife and kids fault. It for is just about anything. You throw a dog in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't right. You know, and I, 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 I'm proud enough to admit that because it was just like, it was so fresh and I was so yeah. excited and I didn't even think twice, but you know, I didn't like crashing anything. It's good. Good pedal feel, right? And sure. good car control. So yeah, it's almost good. it's almost drive. more badass. The fact to be like, yeah, I didn't even need four wheel yeah. drive. Did that, did it, it, the whole thing yeah, two wheel drive. That good. That's a good story to tell. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, and and it was it was fine. Then I had a sunny day the way coming back, and I, I did put it in four wheel drive, and I don't know if I needed it on the way back, but uh yeah, it was it was all good. Fun to have it. Thousand mile road trip, literally like two days after frame swaps complete, and uh, shows the level of trust I have for Jared and his crew. I put my family in it, right, and just go stick my nose in the shit and see what happens. Those so, guys built some amazing shit. They do, talented dudes, man. I love everything those guys do. Fit and finish and level of detail is amazing. And they're right up in your hood, huh? They're not far from you. Yeah, I mean, they're you know, obviously we have we've made some cool stuff together. Um, and they're, they're building, um, um, another full-size Jeep for, for my dad right now, actually, that that'll be at SEMA. Um, but I just, you know, you can get into these tussles with shops and, you know, whether they be creative or billing or whatever, I've never had that issue. Like just right away. I mean, there are people that I can relate with and then you can see their work and you see where they are working and what they're creating in that space and knowing I mean, I really relate to guys that are around my age that are that have talents that I don't. And we can talk to each other about like, hey, where where we're different and um, and to be able to see what they can do, like they can take something in their head and make it with their hands. Like it's just something I I won't ever have. And not not only just appreciating their talent, but they're great people and have always taken care of me when when something's gone wrong with with the Lincoln and um you know, just there, it's like a lifetime warranty and, and just great stand up. Uh, that's ethical. That's per, I mean, that's the way you got to do it. I'm sure they're not going to be super stoked about the lifetime warranty announcement <laughs> on here, but I know how it goes. I mean, we're the same way. It's, you know, with our customers, it's always like, dude, it doesn't matter if, if there's something that needs to be taken care of, it be taken care of. Got to stand behind it. Yeah. Um, just being in a position where, now, like everything that comes out of my mouth is a potential liability. <laughs> um, I'm going to state unequivocally that Jared from J Rod and Custom has never offered me a lifetime warranty. I've had <laughs> you, you heard it right here. 
Yeah. But but they are they they know what they built they're and they're the best this. guys to go do it. Yeah. And and they'll you know if it is like something they've you know done in error, then it's a different discussion from hey, I just you know blew up the rear end because I was doing donuts in our parking lot. So yeah, right. um yeah, that's important. I mean, stuff happens and you got to stand behind the stuff that you got to stand behind. You said he's got one of your favorite cars. Which one is that? Uh, the uh, Senna. Oh. The, is that it, Barbara livery or a play on oh, it? Yeah. 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 So actually, you guys can see behind me right there. Oh, shit. So the, the race car in back. Yep. Um, so my dad's like a, a huge McLaren nut. Like when he was a teenager, he would go down to Long Beach Grand Prix and um, take photos of cars through the, you know, the fence. And he started buying some pretty inexpensive uh, McLaren race cars around 09 and 10, which was a good time to, to buy anything, really, if you were looking to, to buy. And he was getting to the point where he was going, you know, F2 and he wanted an F1 car. Long story short, these he was buying Marlboro McLarens, and he had a 1977 M23 that was uh, driven by Joachim Moss, um, and that allowed him to talk to somebody at McLaren, get a modern production car, and convince them to paint it in the Marlboro livery. And Marlboro livery, if anybody's not familiar, obviously Marlboro reds, right? But it's a dark red, and they engineered the red that is on that race car, uh, it looks orange, but the TV broadcast in the seventies when they debuted it would pump out a dark red as purple. So they color corrected it essentially with the paint. But when it came through the TV, it was dark red. So in person, it's bright orange. When you're watching, you know, Marlboro with their name over all these race cars, when F1 was cool and cigarettes were cool and, um, you know, that, C- cigarettes are still pretty cool. They're still pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know if you can but say that. <laughs> not smoke, but like, I would love to have that back in, you know, I mean, like people still die in F1. So if you're, if you're a race car driver and you, you are doing the things that those guys do, the fact that those guys can't smoke cigarettes and have drinks in their hand, like James yeah. Hunt did, it, it may not be the best, like if you're trying to inspire kids, but it's more indicative of like, hey, I'm living on the edge at all times. Right. Like, know that about me. Yeah, that's, so, that's what Josh, he smokes, uh, what are the Newport menthols? And he tells me that all the time. Stuff? He's like, yeah, dude, he's like, I'm living on the edge. People die from this shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah, it's not I've that. Never used that. Yeah, just, oh, 100%. I'm going to say it all yeah, the time. And I'm like, it's not that cool, man. It's super dangerous. Yeah. You don't understand how dangerous it is. Some people surf, some people skydive. And you smoke, smoke menthols. Menthols. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the car you're talking about is the actual Senna, the street car. Yep. Um, and that uh, that was a door that was open because of um, the, the vintage McLaren cars. And so one of the Can-Ams that we'll be bringing to Wisconsin uh, this week was Bruce McLaren's actual you know, uh, championship winning car. And so the, the namesake McLaren... Um, and you know, like he drove that car to a championship, that championship series debuted in at road America in 1967, wow. um, and went McLaren one, two, like in that race. And they just dominated that year. So it's a big deal for McLaren's history. And so McLaren racing in the UK called my dad and was like, Hey, 
we want your car for our 50th anniversary. And he goes, okay, how are we going to get, <laughs> how much are you going to insure it for? And what other doors are open? So like my brother and my dad got to go tour their, you know, F1 technology center and got to know a lot of the people there. And then, uh, you know, McLaren was having some financial issues and um, sold him, sold him that car, uh, which is a um, Ayrton Senna raced MP4 uh, seven from 1992 Damn. and gave him, gave him an order uh, portal to the street car. So you obviously have to pay for those things. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when, when you, when that door opens, you, you pretty much have to you jump. dive all over that. Yep. I saw that thing on Instagram like three or four years ago at, I don't know, it was like a cars and coffee drive. And I'm like, holy shit, that's the baddest scent I've ever seen. Didn't see it again. And then as you're building the Jeep, like jumped on your Instagram, like, holy shit, Nick owns it. Like it was just the coolest livery on that car. The majority of them are just horrible color combos. Yeah. I can say that. But but. that, the Marlboro livery is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they're linked together. So the race car and the Senna have the same like corresponding chassis numbers. So that was kind of the, the full meal deal. And um, yeah, they, I think there's like three or four other Senna's right. Named after Ayrton Senna that they allowed that color to be put on. But to your point, like you could pay a million extra dollars and have it be bright pink carbon fiber. I don't know why you do it, but Sorry, you, you had that level of ability. So I mean, you do what you want with your money, but I'm not going to tell you that looks good. You can't can't buy taste. (laughs) Yeah, it it can be yours. I I don't want that. Dude, it Uh, sounds like you've got the connection, and Phil is really digging this livery. There we go. His Miata's already red. So (laughs) to get the Marlboro livery on, all you'd have to do is the white white part. Only have to do the white part. White Chevron, though. But I wonder not, if there could be a collab, like a McLaren I don't know if you're going to get Nick on board making fun of Phil with the Miata because he's been at the racetrack. He knows how fast those Miatas are. I like Miatas. I, don't give Phil. Me ah. yeah, so, <laughs> I, we, have, we have two Miatas. I, I grew up uh, one of my dad's cars when I was really young. He had a red Miata. We used to listen to Randy Travis and cruise around. So oh, that's pretty, the Randy Travis, Randy Travis is pretty part cool. Of the Miata part <laughs> I've still. got a book in my body that dislikes Miatas, uh, but you know, I, I don't really fit in them very well. I don't know. It's my leg. I'm more leg than torso. So it just doesn't suit me very well. Dude, I've never, honestly, I've never heard Randy Travis and Miata <laughs> mentioned in the same <laughs> sentence. That's hey, that's Richard Griot in a nutshell, man. Again, you start looking at some of the cars back here. It's like, who are you? And, um, and in all honesty, that kind of is what makes all of this the most approachable and, and gives us that appeal. It's like, this isn't a row of white Porsches or only McLarens. Like there's a pink Fiat next to the McLaren, next to red BMW, next to a 79 Lincoln Continental. Like, I don't know the logic there outside of those are all things we like. We've got to so, get up there at some point and check yeah. all this shit out. I'd love to see this. Yeah, on that note, though, cool. the approachable part in the Miata. Stop fucking approaching me with Miata memes and texts on Instagram. Just everybody, please. Oh, you're talking about me? Just no, everybody do in general. Is there a lot of it? There's a oh. good amount. How many would you say per you week? Mean, it's ten to fifteen a week. I'm well, gonna say that I'm gonna make a challenge right now. If the Fuck. listeners, if the listeners can get, we're gonna to edit one, this part out to 100 total <laughs> memes to fill by the end of. The week when this podcast, 100 in a week, 
every hundred people get free T-shirt. Yeah, but we got to have a hundred Miata memes directly to Phil's Instagram. And what is it? That's P at P Gerber. Oh man, we can't edit all this out. Like you're gonna, you're gonna get. I get it nonstop. It's fucking horrible. People were bragging. I owned it, and then I gave up on it, and it's just yeah. still coming back. I had, like, to, I had to walk around Columbus the whole fucking time, and all I heard everywhere I went, Florida Georgia line. Yeah, I but you're it. proud of that shit. No, I hate <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get you on something. Don't worry. I'm uh, like untouchable. No. <laughs> no yeah. We'll see. See what's the right. We're, we need idea. to get up that area and check this collection out, though. Seriously, I think it'd be I, fucking cool. I'd love to have you guys. I mean, it. Um, I think just the the business itself and like how this headquarters is set up, and and really like, I think the it's a full cultural center, right? I mean, we have space for three hundred cars. We have you know we do over one hundred twenty shows here on site. Wow. Uh, we have a rotating auto display that's, you know, square footage that isn't productive within the building, but all of our, you know, locals get to contribute and store their car there and show it off for a month. And, uh, and then we've got, you know, a small uh, portion of the collection here. And then the shop that's, you know, you walk down a stair set or a stair set and it's there and they're, they're the same way they're working on, you know, CJ seven Jeep, um, uh, Lancia, um, Stratos, uh, oh. Tomas Magusta, a C3 Corvette. So it's like they're like a Mark II GTI. There's nothing that's um, above or below. Like if you love that car and you want it to go to a certain level, you know, they're going to do it. Um, but it's, there's just something for everyone. Like and we'll have a husband and wife walk into the back room and the husband goes straight to the race cars. The wife goes straight to the pink Fiat and everybody's happy. And you know, we can kill an hour back there anytime. That's awesome. But we reached the Pretty time sweet. now where we have to ask some of the standard questions. I'm kind of excited about some of these standard questions. First up, best car movie and why? Hmm. Man, I uh, I think some of the newer movies they've been putting out are really, really damn good. Um like I love Ford versus Ferrari. I loved Rush, but I would always I grew up watching Le Mans with Steve McQueen and like Bullet. Like those two have to be. I mean, I'm gonna bias it towards Le Mans because the footage was so nuts and Porsche 917s and the Ferraris at that time. They're doing you know 240 miles an hour and people are dying and. I think Steve McQueen says like three things that entire movie, but you just know he's like, he's just carrying a stick that's immeasurable. Right. right? And that's cool. And he's just bad to the bone. So it, it's not like thrilling and not like well acted, but it's only cars and only racing. And that's the era that my dad like grew up idolizing and, and instilled in my brothers and I, it's like, we're sitting, we're sitting quietly at home watching just, essentially footage of these cars making noise, nobody talking, nothing else. Like, okay, yeah, this is acceptable. This is what happens in our household on Friday night. That's so cool. that's badass. Yeah. I like it. Le Mans comes up a good bit. I think that's probably gonna be number three or number four at the end it's of the year. It's up there at the top. Yeah. It keeps coming up. Uh, well, you talked about it. You had a 71 Camaro was your very first car, correct? 
Uh, no, well, that was that was the car restored okay. with with Madden High School. All right. Well, what's your very first car and a story about that car? So it's way worse, but it's actually sweet. Uh, I don't think it's that bad in in retrospect, but it was it was pretty embarrassing at the time. And then I came to like it, but it was a '79 uh, 300D Mercedes wagon. Um, so these are like really popular. Yeah. Right now, I think the the generation is called W123. They're they're tanks, like they're excellent automobiles. But the one I got was non-turbo diesel. So it's a six thousand pound car, totally overbuilt in every way. Seventy three horsepower, and had one hundred seventy, one hundred fifty ish thousand miles on it. Couldn't tell because the odometer didn't work. You know, it stopped turning. Um, and I learned how to like the passenger door or the driver door was kicked in. So I learned how to do body work. I learned how to pull a panel and do Bondo, learn how to do brakes. I refinished my first wheel set because I only had, you know, three hubcaps on the car, but it was dark green, which were my high school colors. And I could drift it around the gravel parking lot. And uh, one day I was driving to school with my brother asleep next to me and car dies in the middle of the busiest intersection on our way to school. I'm like, hey, dude, you got to wake up. We got to push this car. And it's a heavy ass car. And we're pushing it over the Midas and Midas throws an alternator in it. Take it home. I'm like, dad, we got we to gotta look at this thing. He's like, okay, let's just drive it to Mercedes, which is like a 10 mile drive from our house. And they'll get the tachometer, odometer. They'll just see what the hell is going on with this thing. Because um, at this point, it's been brakes and aesthetics. And we're driving down, we get like three miles from the house. I'm driving in his suburban and I just kind of start outpacing him. I've got his cell phone in the car and he doesn't show up in Mercedes. I'm like, uh-oh, what's going on? He gives me a call, he's like, where the fuck are you? Like, I'm on the side of the freeway. I just, I'm in a Popeye's chicken, like come back and get me, your car just blew up. So it, it threw a rod on the freeway on the way to getting and he he said it was like a you know again like a world war ii fighter pilot like the thing just burst into flames and came up over the hood and nice Epic. i think our total investment in that car was like 1200 bucks like it was it was nothing we did we like had spare mercedes parts and uh brought bought brake calipers and i did the rest of the work but yeah that was number one and um Call it the shagging wagon. Did not do any of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be running to do that. Well, when's the yep. pro touring Mercedes coming then? You know, the, it's all nostalgia. So a throwback. No, that, or is that I one don't just, like, yeah, it's like, fuck that one. That was trouble. I like them, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend money on them. Right. I mean, I, that's, it's kind of the line for me. I, plus I got a, I got a station wagon. I got that covered and uh, that thing actually works and, and my wife likes it too. So. We'll, uh, we'll stick with that one. Right on. Uh, the fav- what's your favorite car that you have right now in your possession? Out of all of them. You had to give them all up and keep one. Oh, man. Yep. It's like asking about your children, dude. Well, that's easy, though. The cars are a little harder. Yeah. In right. your situation. Can I extend that really to, my, to my dad's cars, too? Because yeah. there's one car that I, that I never... Uh, that, that's his 66 Chevelle. 100%. Really? Out of all that uh, cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, because this is, again, kind of goes back to the sentiment. Um, so I was, I was working on that Camaro 
And uh, it's like, oh, wow, muscle cars are cool. I've only owned like Porsches and German stuff. And it's a good reason for that. Those are great cars too. And he bought a like a numbers matching, but like the worst numbers matching car, right? Like a, it's got 396, it had two-speed auto and like, you know, drums all around. It was just, but it's white on black. So we swapped a 502 in it, did four on the floor, disc brakes all around. That same shop I was interning in, we did like a, a Trans Am uh, rear end, cut the springs. So it like, it's a really fun car to drive. And that's the car I used to sneak out in high school. I'd get like four girls in the back seat, my buddy Tommy in the front seat. And he just bought a 67 Chevelle because of how like nostalgic that car was for that couple years of our life where, you know, my dad would travel and we'd just take the Chevelle out and we'd <laughs> just kill it. Uh, I mean, I do J turns and like, I remember I stalled it non-coming traffic one time. I like did some bad things in that car, but like, it's always kept me alive. Um, even when it has tried to kill me, like for things that aren't my fault, but it's just like, it's got no radio. It's just big carbureted 502, you know, chirps in every gear and simple. And that's all I'd want if I had to pick one. Um, I'd probably have to move to California or something, which I'm not going to do that. So I got to just drive it in the rain all the time. You talked about J hooks and you talked about other stuff. I want to know, you talked about your license getting suspended. What was your license suspended for? Oh, that was dumb shit. That was dumb shit. Like one time I, one time I think I was late to school and I was doing like 54 and a 30. And then, so that was like one infraction. And then I, um, I was driving a clutch or I was like learning how to drive a manual and was doing a hill start and you know, had my e-brake, had it in reverse and like bumped into the guy behind me. Like as I released the clutch of the car lurched backwards, he like broke his license plate frame and called the police and filed a police report. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. Like you're looking at a 16 year old kid who's sweating bullets. Like there's nothing wrong with your huge Toyota Forerunner on this little, you know, old Volkswagen. So I had like two infractions on my license within three months and they just yanked it and they had like done some new identical. things. Yeah. It couldn't yeah. be more identical <laughs> to Blake. It was, yeah, it was not, I wasn't, I mean, I was late to school, but I wasn't like street racing or doing anything dumb. I was just yeah. panicked. And in both cases, I was panicked and I was a young driver and they probably took it away at the right time just to settle my head down. And his was 55 and a 30. And then it was a small fender bender. <laughs> I feel like kids nowadays, it's not like impressive. They're kind of weak. Like when we were kid, when we were 16, jumps were really big. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? They were huge. Dude, we were ripping jumps. Right, everybody. Railroad tracks. Oh, everything. Yeah, railroad tracks, speed bumps, uh, going into Pulverous. retention ponds and then out. Just oh. sending it, dude. But most I kids say I wasn't doing that. I just never got caught for that. Oh. Yeah, I didn't get caught either. <laughs> I was launching my buddy's '91 Taurus off the hills in Tacoma, and there's yes. some pretty. <laughs> lawn yeah. jobs were huge. Nobody does a lawn job nowadays. No. When's the last time you saw a lawn job? I mean, I'm tempted to start just ripping some <laughs> bring to bring it back. It back you know. <laughs> As, as a homeowner. Oh, it's dev devastating. I don't as want anybody. As a, as, a, as a grown man <laughs> that you, owns a home. What a bunch of dickheads we were back then. <laughs> a tourist, though, I will say, that era tourist can, much, much like a, Tiber a LeBaron, can yeah. take a beating. Those They will just keep on going. 
tank yeah man. 91 oh man light blue dark blue leather interior digital dash it was loaded oh yeah that green yeah. digital dash 91 was a good year not it's it's kind of like it's the new 1970 91 oh, yeah i don't nobody said that really no, no you're trying to make that happen that's not uh, i have three cars from 1990 i don't know what it is but it just it just happens to be the year that i've landed on for these cars so you don't um, happen to have a low mileage ford decent probe. condition ford probe gt over there do you i do not know no. uh, <laughs> no, on the hunt i've been on the hunt for a little ford probe gt can't find one in due time Yep, it'll come. Uh, what's in your pocket right now? You got to do a pocket dump. All right. Uh, wallet, Ridge it's wallet. Ridge wallet, carbon Ridge wallet. Minimalist. Wife took all my cash, so nothing front, more. Front pocket carry or rear pocket carry? Front pocket. I, I wear shorts, you know, most of the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to go wash a car, so... Um, I can't sit on, on anything. I usually just empty my pockets when I get to my desk, but, um, this keys to the castle, another just ridge thing. Uh, I like both these things, the carbon fiber. So like fits in everywhere. Um, I can't leave my desk without that or else I get locked out of the building. So that's pretty much on all time. Bronco key. So Sweet. waited two years, two years for my Bronco. Love that thing. Um, and knew I was going to talk to you guys about knives. Oh, yeah. That's Benchmade. Yeah. Benchmade, bug out, carbon fiber. So I, I like this thing a lot. Um, I It's funny. I've heard a couple of your other guests say, like, they've just gone through, like, the $20, $40, $50 knives. And, like, I I screwed up so many of those knives. Like, I started carrying um, a utility, just a box knife around. Like, one with a retractable blade. It's spring-loaded. Yeah. Yep. Um, so like that was kind of my default knife forever and I kept losing them because they're so damn big. I'd like put them somewhere and, you know, I had to like start carving my name in, uh, with a little Dremel or, or another knife. So I'm like, I'm just destroying all these tools. And I finally bought, uh, the bench made cause two of the guys that I have gone uh, fishing and hunting with in the shop said, Hey, did you get, get this blade sharpened for life. They're right in Portland, like right down the road. Um, so bought one of those and don't know that I needed to spend that much based upon how I treated knives, but I like the concept of just sending it back. And, and I mean, the thing weighs like an ounce. Yeah. That's, it's, that's a good knife. That's a great carry. Super light. Very unwieldy. Yeah, you do. Yeah. That's a good knife. Uh, yeah. last but not least the, well, not last but not least second to last best piece of advice that you've ever received. Okay. Well, I think um, one of the things that I'm very fortunate to have is two really good um, role models and that have been, you know, big part of my life and big part of, I think, where um, I'm at in uh, business relative to my age. And that's my grandpa and my dad. And, you know, every, every son and father have the moments where, um, screw you, I don't want to listen to you. Like you're, you can't be right about this, but I think there's like some transcendent things that they've told me. And probably the very best one is um, there's three things. They're all very quick, but number one is listen to understand, speak to be understood. And I think that that is probably the hardest thing for 
somebody like me with a go, go, go is to like not jump in front of people and I come to conclusions or interject or interrupt. I used to get kicked out of grade school for that all the time. Um, but it, I think it, it, you really want to take advice from people and then, you know, give something back. And for me, I'm in the middle of it now. I've got folks that are younger than us, younger than me in the organization that I want to see succeed. I want to have them come up. I want to work with them for 30 years. And then there are folks like my dad who, you know, he's got an image of how things have been and how he made it. But if we can't do that together, we can't listen to each other and then also like speak in a way that we can both uh, understand, we're only going to fight. It's not going to be very fun to be in a family business when you fight. So um, it's a big part of why we're, we're symbiotic and why it's worked out. It's good. Last but not least, we're going to, I'm going to change this one up a little bit. So you got, you got home. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. This will, this will be important to you guys. All right. This is my grandpa's mantra. Always have one less drink than that who you are trying to extract information from. So that yeah. I think is excellent that's, business. That's really good. good. We should start trying to do that. We're, but no, yeah. we always have way more drinks yeah. than the person that we're trying to extract information <laughs> from. <laughs> we don't follow that ever. That may hey. have been a pointed one. I don't know. Yeah, I think that was pointed. <laughs> no, no, no. That, I think, <laughs> we didn't even talk about bourbon, right? We got like, uh, you know, and all, we've got all the time in the world. I was trying to be respectful for your time. We can keep fucking oh, no. going. <laughs> I, we, I mean, we got a whole nother podcast about bourbon, but, uh, it got like, it's, uh, the reality is like, I started talking to my grandpa about, uh, how much I knew about the process of distillation and fermentation and bourbon. He goes, man, I never thought I'd have a grandson that knew so much, so much about alcohol. Two weeks later, I get like this old yellowed paper clipping. It's like the 10 rules of business. And he's like highlighted it double. And it's that line. Like always have one less drink than the person you were trying to extract. Sure. I'll, I'll tell you, there's been some interesting scenarios over the years of some pretty straight laced dudes that had a couple too many cocktails that I mean, we've all been there, right? Yo, yeah. SEMA, some, yeah, there's, yeah. wow. It, yeah, that we were, <laughs> we were, generally weren't trying to extract that information. That information, that information came, came out, <laughs> out while, the, yeah, when those guys were drinking. Yeah. I think a little caveat to that was build up your tolerance so that might not be an issue. That's yeah, true. We've, 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 we've put, put the word about, you know. <laughs> How did you know? I mean, what you said something about in college getting paid in whiskey. How long have you been into bourbon and shit? Um, I mean, when I went to the South, that was, that was it. My, um, my, my, uh, fraternity roommate is son of a preacher from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, he had a bottle of Buffalo trace under his pillow on his desk and all that. So we were just drinking, you know, whiskey, ginger ales with bourbon and we we're, you know, started just climbing the ladder. And, um, I would always, uh, brew beer with my dad and my buddies. And, uh, my, one of my buddies who ran the detailing business with me, is a brewmaster locally. And, uh, we started taking it to the next level. We bought a still and, you know, we just started boiling the water, nothing nefarious there and learning about the process of, of distillation. That's when, that's when the snowball really went downhill. When I started, you know, building a, a back wall, like you guys have in the studio and the treasure hunting and finding out what I liked. And to the point where I went to, you know, a, a class in 
in Louisville about distillery operations. I thought that was going to be a gig that I would do. Um, found out that you probably need a spare $25 million to go start. <laughs> if you want to make bourbon, that is, if you don't want to yeah. make vodka or, or um, stuff that I don't like. So I got really into it um, and just started learning again about the how to, you know, make it and what makes it special uh, temperature wise, climate wise. And so I started piecing together a business plan for Washington state, not a good place to make bourbon, um, Kentucky and yeah. Midwest. A little great different place. climate, a little different climate. Yeah. yeah. So i am got to be maybe a little passion and or problem. Uh, so relative to over-investing in it, but. Uh, so what's the bourbon collection look like? Um, it's a little, uh, is it a little out of control? Strong to moderately strong. So, you know, you know, I, I'll say this when I was, when I was, you know, practicing the craft in my garage with my buddies, we were buying everything, bought everything we could and just trying to find out, okay, how old is this brand? How long have they been around? They're charging X amount of money. You know, my brother and I are doing the math backwards. And so I, at some point I want to say it was probably like 500 plus bottles, but yeah, that's, pretty serious. that's not to say that everything was good. Right. It was just we were learning the marketplace, much like I buy every bottle of spray detailer. A little more expensive to buy bourbon that way. (laughs) But we weren't finding good stuff anyway. Right. Like we're in Washington. So we were just, you know, kind of that muddling. Oh, here's a new distillery. We'll pick it up. What I found out I should have been doing is just been going to all the good distilleries and buying their white dog, their unaged whiskey and stacking up what we were making compared to that. That would have been a lot cheaper. But um, I'm kind of over, um, you know, trying stuff that's net new yeah. and, and really looking towards finding the, the best I can find and, and trying not to pay an arm and a leg for it. So like that rock Hill, when it jumped out at me, I'm like, Gotta have it. you know, yeah. I might be paying a hundred dollars more than retail, but I've been waiting two years to find it. I'm yeah. getting it. It's right there in front of me. Um, you know, Pappy Van Winkle. No, I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I've had it. It's excellent. It is what it is. But, um, you know, I, I also won't pay $90 for something that's four years old and from a distillery that, that just came out of nowhere, um, without like going to the distillery and tasting it before doing it. And that's what I was doing when that collection got a little inflated was learning, right. Um, testing the the market, learning the product, just the same way I've done down here. So what's your go-to? If you're going to grab something to drink, you get some buddies over, what do you gravitate towards? So, it, you know, I think this is probably where you guys can start making the same justifications I do. It's like, hey, if it's my uh, brother-in-law, I'm getting something that's <laughs> Um, If it's like my best friend, I'm getting something that's 110 and we're drinking it straight. So, uh, I really like, I think I told you, Jeremy, last year, like 107 is like my favorite proof. Sure. And, you know, when you, when you kind of are doing the, um, distillation, you can start seeing the different tastes that, that come out at different proofs. And that's the one that always to me seems to be like the threshold of, if it gets hotter than that, I got to put it on ice. If it's lower than that, I'm, you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a little punch. 
So uh, I love Weller 107, that pure Kentucky, like this one that I showed you. That's This is a, from Willet. Yep. That's a 107 proof. I like that. It's not the best one, but um, – and then I like uh, like the Baker 7-year, like a lot of the um, – and a lot of those Booker uh, sure. kind of seasonal releases that are really interesting and all different. So that's kind of what I like. I'll, I'll pay $80 for a Booker's um, just because each one's just a little bit different um and and kind of hotter so you can detune it with a little water if you yeah. want yeah the booker stuff's generally pretty hot that's something we haven't had yet no. on the pot i mean i've had it at home a great a little presentation <clears throat> little yeah. wood boxes that they they hook you on the yeah they're all like you said they're all different too you got the wedding ring and the thing i've got i don't know probably four of them that i haven't drank you always get them as gifts and uh but yeah, I do like the, I've I've been going back to that 107 lately. I used I was a special reserve guy for so long just it's fairly fairly readily available where we're at and so it's just an easy one to just to pound. Special you know, reserve and, and, is special reserve. You can't yeah, find, I haven't seen a bottle of 107 in years. I know, you can't find it. So in the 107 I've started getting into it now and I realized like, oh, I can't be drinking this like I did I did the special reserve cuz I can't replace it. Near as easy. Yeah, you got to save that one. I mean I, I stumbled into a couple of them. It's just one of those things where it's like, okay, stash that. And then I went down to Texas. And for some reason, Texas has like Weller everywhere. Um, and you can buy half gallons of special reserve for 50 bucks. And then yeah, you know, all of a sudden my wife's like, why are these car parts arriving in our house? I'm like, shut up. What's on your uh, current hit list? What are you trying to find? Um. Man, you know, I, I've been reading a uh, whiskey advocate. I think that was like really fun. Um, but right now for me, it's just, it's just the thrill of the hunt. I'm not even looking for anything in particular anymore. I'm looking for, um, like, I love the EH Taylors. I just found like their, their straight ride recently that was at retail. I'm like, okay, if it's at retail and I can find it, like I'm excited. Um, but you know, we have a bunch of these like establishing stores around here and you'll go in and they've got like, again, one bottle of 107 with dust on it. They're asking $400 for it's like, uh, yeah, that sucks. Like, what can you do? So we, we got a place by us that has everything you can ever want, but it's all four or five, six, 700 bucks. And it's three to three to five times over of retail. That's just not, not going to happen. Yeah. I will say one of the ones I was lusting after forever was the EH Taylor four grain. Yep. And I, I, I had a buddy in Tennessee who had a friend who's a distributor and all of a sudden it showed up at my door. And I was like, that is one of the coolest things anybody's ever That's done. It's a big timer bottle. Oh yeah. Yeah. We be like, we're talking about it for two days and, and I owed him nothing. I was like, that's incredible. But if there's a bourbon God out there, I'd probably like that Weller single barrel. Like I, or uh. Yeah, like I haven't tried it. I don't know. It's just the one I haven't tried. I so. ch- I chased it for years. That was the missing link of my Weller collection, and I finally got one, courtesy of Dave Garfield at Garfield's Beverage Beverage Warehouse, Warehouse and Liquor Emporium. Yeah. But it it completes the collection. I I haven't opened it, but we did orange, try right? it. We yeah. stumbled across it at a random uh, bar in uh, Arizona, Scottsdale, when we were at uh, yeah. Barrett Jackson, and they were serving it up for inexpensive. It was like a fifteen dollar pour. And it's, it's the thing, chase the bottle, get the bottle, put the bottle on the shelf. 
I wouldn't recommend opening the bottle. It's like a don't meet your idol type thing. Yeah, pretty much. It's not phenomenal. Yeah, yeah I mean that that's where it's at right now. And you know, that same course I was referring to, um you guys know John Goolsby, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you guys sell him some some frames for sure. One, a good friend. I obviously he's on the road. He's a road warrior and got to know him really well. I had to burst his bubble about Tito's vodka because it was like the one thing they told <laughs> us the first like the first day we got to it's this. All he drinks. Yeah, and he was like, "It's magical," and I was like, "John, I gotta tell you the truth, man. Um, that guy just totally hoodwinked you." Um, <laughs> it, it's like he bought he bought grain neutral spirits in tanker trucks from like commercial production, added water to it, ran it through a still once, added water back to it and sold it as handcrafted and made, you know, it's a $4 billion oh, brand. Made a fortune. Dude was brilliant, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like growing the potatoes in his backyard. Then he then labored to ferment. And I mean, it, you know, it totally burst his bowl. He still drinks it, but um, they, they were telling us like that first day, in in that class that class that like these spirits ride trends and vodka was was hot in the the 2000s now bourbon is what everybody wants and you know what's going to be next who knows but i'm waiting for the steam to come out because i'm i'm still going to be a bourbon drinker um you know long long after the trend is gone but it would be nice to be able to find the stuff that i actually enjoy and be able to open that weller single barrel right right yeah, I'm in it for, it for the long haul for sure on the bourbon side, but the you, you know 20 years worth of drinking ahead. Yeah, the vodka stuff's interesting because there's a lot of great bourbon brands. Even Buffalo Trace, I forget the name of their uh, some weeded vodka that Wheatley. they do. Wheatley. Wheatley. And, and you were big on that Puff Daddy. Uh, yeah, huge with Syrah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, so big. On it, right? No, but it's the the bourbon companies. They do some really good vodkas. You, you're used to these mainstream brands, you know, Tito's and Absolute and those. Try messing with some of those bourbon guys you know that find the buffalo trace one that's a makes a great bloody mary the we yeah that's yeah. that's what they tell you at the school they're like if you if you want to make brown stuff you're going to be cash flow negative for five years so you got to make vodka you got to make gin you got to make some sticky type of holdover to get cash flow and then show off your barrels when you tour your distillery and like or you're buying source stuff from mgp and then just saying you know my granddaddy rode out of the mountains on a witch broom <laughs> and uh listen to my bourbon story and and you know don't don't ask me where the bourbon came from you know <laughs> just drink it shut the fuck up right <laughs> yeah, and pay me 80 dollars a bottle for it so um yeah it's an interesting industry and again ultimately it's a fun thing it we always talk like you know Get in the garage, the garage is your sanctuary. If you like to imbibe in the garage and, and relax, you know, for me, it's it's almost always bourbon as opposed to, you know, beer, whatever else. Um, but yeah, it's a fun, fun little hobby. Unfortunately, it's expensive or more expensive than ever now and harder to find stuff. But that's part of the hunt, right? That's it part is. of what I I, you wanted even more. Well, I hope to see you up uh, in Elkhart this weekend. I'll bring something delicious with in case i run into you okay cool after yeah. track yeah well uh yeah my body's gonna be thrashed for sure so i'll, I'll need a little bit of perfect. no yeah we'll catch you after the race not before <laughs> let you go into that with a clear head but good That's luck fun. out there man i'm looking forward to seeing it 
Thank you. Yeah, I got a. I, I won my Can Am race last year, so I got a. I got a standard now, but I'm probably gonna, you know, just go out there have fun. I've got three kids now, so the goal is to come back with all four wheels and all four limbs. Perfect. And have a plan. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. It's been great. It's, it's been, been awesome. Been a blast. Yeah, really nice talking to you guys. I'm I'm stoked. You guys make a great product. Well, I appreciate Love it. Love that man. Jeep. Love that Jeep. Glad to hear, dude. Looking forward to visiting you out uh, west there and hopefully we can catch a ride in that thing and then uh, check out the car collection yeah i sent you a picture of the next one the next one's already there for you and it's it's a crazy one i don't have what do we got pictures. up next we got the lincoln pictures which obviously badass but i didn't see what's coming up next for you oh um so this is a it's a full-size jeep but it's um it is one of three that came oh, out yeah. of uh, new zealand it's called an Apache. Got it right here. Oh. Huh. Yeah. So it's like a Suburban. Seen, I've never seen that yeah. before. Obviously. Yeah. They, they made it for the uh, New Zealand Fire Service. And uh, and my dad was spending some time in New Zealand and Damn. found it for like 6000 bucks. It's a huge piece of shit. But it, <laughs> it can take a third row. So, you know, I need a third row now. Um, the family's so, growing, huh? Yeah. And that's, that's like the car I want to, that's the car that I now need to take my family around the country. And it's, it's unique. I was talking to, you know, Daniel down at Jeep heritage and he was like, no way. How the hell did you find this? I was like, Hey dude, it was six grand. You could, you could have snagged it up. Uh, but that's it coming into the port of Tacoma. So we, we just got it, um, a little bit ago. That'd be but, cool. Guys, I have to measure that. That one's a yeah. unique one. That one needs yeah, a chest. I don't think we've got that one on file. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell's under it. I mean, it's it's a wild, wild piece of history. Um, so, you know, I, I that's what I want to do next with you all. Can't wait, dude. That should be pretty rad. Yeah, these pictures are just coming through, but this is some great stuff. Yeah, it's got this stuff late. I think I was sending it. That's the, the underside of the Jeep. I was, uh, I was, like I said, I was kind of slammed and, uh, lady I was interfacing with was, uh, you know, asking me for some photos. I finally got them all to you. So no last, but we'll get them up there, man. Rad collection, dude. Great chatting with you. Looking forward to seeing you. Good luck this weekend, buddy. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate Thanks for, uh, for having me on. And yeah, please, uh, open invite anytime you can get up here. I would recommend between July 4th and September 30th, just because if you like seafood and sunshine that isn't humid, it's the best time to come up here. Perfect. Yeah. I, might, I might be coming up there uh, middle of August. We've got family uh, on my wife's side in um, Bellevue. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's not too far off, and, and I'd love to show you around. And um, my, my email is is nick.grio at, at griosgarage.com. Just let me know. Cool. Um, yep. I, I, was, I was interfacing with Jessica at Ironclad. Um, so, yeah, hit me up anytime, and I'd love to take you guys around. Cool. Awesome, awesome man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Good luck this weekend. Hi, nice talking to you guys. You uh, again, wonderful business, wonderful production here. Really happy to be a part of it. I, I really appreciate it. Right on, man. Take care, dude. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, man. All right. Bye. Big thanks again to Nick from Griot's Garage. Remember, you can keep up with Nick and Griot's Garage by following on Instagram at Griot's Garage. We got whiskey review. It's time for the whiskey review. Dun, dun, dun. We've been drinking 
a tremendous amount of whiskey since our last review and this review. There's so much to talk about that I guess we're going to run, run all the great whiskeys that we've had. We just spent a weekend. All in, in one. A weekend in Columbus, Ohio, just crushing our uh, Infinity bottle. Oh, yeah. We don't review those bottles, though. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Drinking them on site. We've got to drink them on air. Tell us about this whiskey, Phil. Okay. So, <laughs> this whiskey showed up yesterday in an unmarked box to uh, my attention, and then we were trying to figure out where it came from. Got a text today that uh, good customer Matt Saxton went ahead and sent this to us. Um, he is a big uh, aficionado like we are. He was raving about this stuff, um, said we got to try it. Let us or let him know and let everyone know what we think. Um, I was kind of excited seeing the uh, finished in honey and whatever that other barrel was. Well, that'd be the Amburana. Amburana. We had yeah. to Google that. Um, I think it's a bean. <laughs> it's a lagoon. It is a legume. That's <laughs> a cinnamon and spice flavor to it, which you can definitely taste in the bourbon. Um, a little bit different than normal, but I think really. Big fan of this. A little initial fireball kind of flavor to it. You taste the cinnamon, you taste the sweet, but then going back, get a lot of good depth and flavor in it. It's unique. It is. It's one of a kind for sure. Very flavorful. It was the cinnamon is no joke. The first bit of flavor, I was, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna like this. Um, but yeah, after drinking it some more, you, uh, you start like you start craving it. You're like, oh, I gotta have yeah. a little bit more of that. It's a good, fl- good. Good taste. Diff, definitely different. Um, I was skeptical. Honestly, when it came through, I did not know that it came from Matt. Now, granted, I trust Matt's taste, but when I saw it was uh, Penelope, I was like, well, that's what we're fucking drinking tonight? <laughs> Only be- we had one in the past, and there's been one sitting up there. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was... It, uh, uh, it didn't rate real well, the, so I was skeptical. The blue one, the architect, was pretty good. Was it? Yeah. The barrel strength was not great. But I, I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. It's loaded with flavor. Kind of borderline on a rye almost, like some of the it is. spicier flavorful ryes. Or usually when you see, you know, something like that at the liquor store, it usually has that little description, and it's like, you know, initial cinnamon floods the palate, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, okay, I'm sure it like doesn't really taste like cinnamon at all. Right. The cinnamon fucking hits you. It's good. I think you hit it best, like, Afterwards, like you get that good honey, like rich natural honey flavor to it. Yeah, it's it's different, and yeah, it drinks like Craving a cocktail. It. Yeah, you're right, hundred percent. It drinks like a cocktail, like a good cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. That's not too fruity. That, right. That you'd you'd have a second one. Yeah. You know. Yeah, this tr- drinks like a good cocktail that doesn't have a lot of stuff in it. That's just tasting a lot of the spirit, mm-hmm. a little bit of flavor enhancement. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm down with. It. I'm glad Matt sent that because I probably wouldn't have bought that if it was right. on the shelf, but. I love it. Yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get a good rating. What's the what review? might that rating what's be? Your, Josh? What's your what's your review? <sighs> I don't know. Tough to put a number on it because it's not a true bourbon. Like you said, it's got a cocktail rye flavor to it. Straight bourbon whiskey. It's not a Sizzle blend right huh? there. 
I'd have thought that was some sort of a blend. I'm gonna go. Just a, it's just a finished cask finish deal. Seven double cask finish. Five. Phil's got it at a seven five. It's a pretty good review. I'm not far off from that. Probably a little lighter. I'm gonna go seven three, but I like it. Your uniqueness to it. Yeah. It's not a not a daily drinker, but a refreshing change up. Yeah. Josh is computing. Let it hit the palate, Josh. Tell us how it dances on the tongue. Here's where I'm at. Where are you? Love the taste. I wish it had just a little bit more kick. Um, with that sweetness, I think you could afford a little bit more of a a yeah. little bit more. It's just what, a little. It's, it's a 98 proof, right? Yeah. But you're on this proof kick right now, dude. You got to yeah. like. No, you, know, you have to share that I've with the listeners. Old. Yeah. You think I've it's the hundred percent. You've gotten old. It's the smoke when you poke when you smoke a pack a day of menthols. It's like a, a liner on your mouth, Do and more your esophagus. Everything you off. need. You need 10 percent more proof. Yeah, than no, the rest of where this. I like that 107, 110. Right. If this would have more proof, I'd rank it higher. I'm not ranking it low. Um, that's my only downside to it, and I'm going to go 7-3. I'm going to go 7-2. I'm going 7-2. Right. Well, that's a nice little cluster. Yeah, it is a nice cluster. Um, it's a great cocktail. If this was a cocktail and you said, hey, I just made you a cocktail, I'd probably rank this higher. Cocktail yeah. in a bottle. Yeah, you don't you need to do all the mixing. You, put, you don't have to buy all the other shit. Just I drink know. it. If I you know. put like an ice sphere in that and like a little uh, orange. orange zest. Yeah. I'd probably rank cherry, you'd be like, wow, right? Three. Yeah, what <laughs> I, really, I probably would. <laughs> what a phenomenal. It's all about the presentation. Yeah, huh? I, I'm just, I'm going to be honest. I probably would rank it at eight, two, or eight, three if it was. It's yeah. good stuff. So I, I it's a definite it. buy it if you can find it. Yeah, I haven't oh, seen 100%. it on the shelf, but Matt's I'd out of Texas and the bottle shipped out of California. So I'm going to guess it's kind of hard to find. Probably. I would absolutely recommend this for anybody that's getting into it new or if, if, I've had a lot. We talked to a lot of listeners at the show uh, this last weekend, and they're talking about their wives are starting to get into bourbon, right? And oh, she likes this, but she doesn't like this. This is not a disparaging statement, but I would definitely get this for somebody that's getting into it new, especially if your wife is wanting to. This is probably a little bit on easier on the palate than some of the bourbons that we have had in the past or like because of the sweetness. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. Um, it's 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 kind of. You know, you have to get, you got to have develop a taste for something. This is a good thing to start developing that taste for, and then you start getting a little bit of something else. But it's have a you had bourbon. the the barrel bourbon seagrass rye? I haven't had the seagrass. It's a good comparison. Yeah, very similar yeah. to that. It's got a lot of like really good sweet flavor to it, yep. a little bit of cinnamon, um, a good like change up. Um, I feel it fits like right in there. Yeah, I yeah, I'm uh, with you on that one. You want to talk about the Columbus drinking? whiskey yeah let's talk about it so because we had, you just look you basically just shamed me when i brought it up no i didn't i said we hey, you made me feel like we got to review this you hurt my feelings dude Did honestly I? yeah the well, way you treated I, me i, I said we <laughs> can't review <laughs> we can't review anything until we drink it on here we can talk about drinking it absolutely okay. i'll let you talk about the infinity ball no no i honestly don't want to talk about it no oh i want you but to. go ahead would you talk about the infinity bottle <laughs> You're gonna ask nicely. Yeah, I'll talk about it. <laughs> on, I was gonna tell. So on Saturday night, uh, yeah, I think it was Saturday night. 
one of those nights where we had drank what we're going to talk about in a minute. But great group of guys, friends, customers. We had too much bourbon. Really? Yeah. And I'm not saying the quantity. The quantity was bad, but that would have been bad anyway. It was so many different things. I started counting up the next morning. Because it was just, hey, have you tried this? You need to try that. Oh, I've had that before. We'll drink it anyway. We'll try this. That's new. I've never tried to kill it. Here you go. Want some more? Literally, I probably did in the teens of different bourbons on Saturday night. Holy shit. It's a rough morning. It was fine. Yeah, dude, you look like shit Sunday morning. Did I? And it, dude, it carried over. Like, even <laughs> it's crazy because all day Sunday, even into Monday, and then today. What day is today? On like Tuesday, Tuesday morning, yeah. still it's like Jesus. What the fuck? He looks like shit. Think it's the drinking. I at the, honestly, I'm questioning whether it is or not at this point because it's it seems <laughs> either the e- same before either there yeah, was Friday a morning permanent reaction to it, and now that's just the way. You, but I didn't look like that before you. No, well, it's hard to say <laughs> for sure. I might. Well, you don't hurt because I drank a little too, so I don't remember. I got you. Yeah, we did have a good time though. We had a great time. We did bring out the infinity bottle, right? Yeah. Tell us about the infinity yeah, the bottle. Infin- the infinity bottle was good. We can review it on here because we review. We we only talk about the bottles no, we, that we drink review, on the podcast. We only review them. We can talk about it and set it up that we're going to re- review it on the podcast. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we made two bottles of it. Somebody had the foresight to say, "Let's make two bottles." That would be you of this. Do you know where the other bottle's at? It's on my desk. Oh, yeah, sweet. But it it was very good. We're we'll we'll dive into it because it's a very unique blend, and it was cool. Like having uh, Aaron on here from Smoke Wagon, who's a master blender. Mm-hmm. He we, told us we shouldn't have done it. And he was, <laughs> in a sense, he was probably right, right. But what do you? What else are you going to do? You're either gonna, you're either going to throw it away. But it was it, it wasn't bad. It's interesting to taste all those mixed together. Would it be? Was it similar to an around the world, like when you go to the fountain yeah, drink? To be and honest a little with you, everything? I think those are better. Yeah. yeah. No, it was so weird. But it wasn't bad. I think it was Fuddruckers is the it uh, was, exclusive yeah, around the world. Without a review, I'm be, be honest, and you tell me if I'm wrong. And instantly, when you like smell and drink that first sip, like we talked about this with the sweetness, instantly you're like, oh wow, this is gonna be amazing. It's got that very high end and or old taste. Great. And then, right as your mind is processing that, there's this, like, uh, bad, like, weird... Flavor? Flavor. That, it's, well, it's just almost like a, a smell more than it is a flavor. And it's kind of like, oh, that's... And it's not bad. It's just, like, things would, mixed up. And then after that... You're selling it really hard. No, no I, and then after that, you start, like, hmm... I would go back, and then it starts smoothing out. Like, my second glass, I actually enjoyed. It's interesting enough that I would rate it. I wouldn't rate it low. It's it, right. it'll, it'll rate up there, and it would probably fall under a buy it if that was a bourbon that you could get. But it's, it's not my favorite. I'll say that. Spencer was convinced. Spencer was convinced that the 32 ounces that he put in there hadn't been mixed up yet. So every time we poured it, he it's was just getting flavor. a different it, bourbon. It just the floated. Eight-hour drive there didn't. Yeah. Again, I'm just saying he was convinced. Hmm. He had a few too, though, at that point. But 
Was he tasting it off of his mustache? At the time? It is probably a different tasting experience for him. It lingers oh. on the stash. Yeah, and he probably had a little beard oil in. It probably tainted. It's probably, probably a little taint yeah, oil on there, too. <laughs> Who knows what's in that thing? Speaking of, <laughs> that yeah. caterpillar on his lip. Uh, this is good, though. We had uh, we had some nice gifts given to us at, at the show. Yeah, we got plenty of good stuff to be drinking on upcoming episodes. Unfortunately, a couple of them didn't make it. Yeah, well, because we the drinking the now. drinking did get out of out of control Saturday we night. Were, if you give us a bottle on Friday at the show, give it to yeah. us. On, great, yeah, give it to us on Sunday. Come to us Friday. Hey, this is awesome. You're gonna love this on the podcast. Guess what? It goes into a vehicle. We go to the hotel parking lot Friday night. We're drinking. What do you think we did? You drank it. We drank some of those bottles. Okay. Yeah, and then we were searching for him because we were we had several vehicles that we drove there. Yeah. So between Josh and I, we were trying to remember where we stashed them all. I'm like, dude, didn't we? Didn't, there was like the canteen one, the yeah. Montana like thing. Mm-hmm. Where where is that? Well, I think I put some of it in the back seat of the Nova. But sure enough, that was the that was the lone survivor. Hmm. Yeah. He cracked that open. It was it's pretty good. John Jackson been talking about tequilas and he's like oh, i got a tequila you got to try i'm like oh, i got one you got to try which i forgot to send to him or forgot to give to you guys so he texted me on like thursday he's like hey i got this tequila it's a pretty high-end like rare one what should i do with it so the guys don't kill it this weekend before you get to it oh you <laughs> son of a bitch you had you yeah it's right it? there I was That's wondering what was in the, the in the toolbox of yeah. the trailer. I thought fucking Brian was snaking it. I told him to. I said, "Give it, give it to Brian, the driver, and tell everybody else that it's horrible and it's a gag gift, and they won't drink it." That's bullshit. We'd have drank that. I'd have fucking killed it. I'd have drank it to the bottom. Yeah, because I know you two assholes. <laughs> and then I'd have filled it back up with Tito's. Yeah, we could have told you all about. We could have reviewed it and told you how good it was. I thought Brian had gotten a gift and was hiding it from us, because I, I saw it in there when I was trying to get coffee one morning. I forgot to ask. Well, that was nice of him, but you forgot to send the one to give to him. I did. So you, we should have. Me, Jeremy, and John Jackson should have drank that tequila since you didn't send him his. No, I'm gonna send it to him. The problem is John's like a fucking nomad, so I don't know where to send it. Does he have a PO like, box somewhere? Yeah, you gotta send it to a PO <laughs> like, box and like. Nebraska, you know, swing through Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah what's yeah. the fucking? Yeah, what's the place in New Mexico? Roswell. Roswell. That's, I feel like that's his central hub. I think so. That's probably his main PO box. Roswell, New Mexico. Roswell. Probably. We went there on the road tour. Remember? Yeah, that's that where they a, got, that a, That's yeah. a shitty place. Fucking yeah. aliens. Yeah. Thought it was gonna be cool, but yeah. No. It's, no they got aliens. There. If they didn't have the aliens. Yeah. Right, but they do. Dude, there's well, no, they got. Stores that sell shit about yeah, aliens. Because there, was, yeah. because there was an alien. I don't think that that's true. Why the hell do they have the stores that sell them everywhere? What else are they going to do out there? I don't know. It's valid. I had to come up with something. Uh, what are we even doing? It's time to go home, dude. <laughs> it's time to fucking go it's home. To go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Oil and Whiskey. An Ironclad Original. If you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review. And I'll be honest with you, we're a little light on the reviews. We're getting great ratings. It's, Good yeah, on not, the ratings. Not thirsty or asking for it at all there. Where would one, oh, where would yeah, one leave a review, Josh? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so I maybe that's know. the problem. <laughs> I don't know where you go to leave. I just know that I see the reviews, and I haven't seen a lot of new reviews lately. Where do you see the reviews? 
Uh, Is there a website? Podcastreviews.com? You leave them on the Spotify. Oh, you can do or that? Or Apple. Okay. If you want to hear more Florida Georgia Line. No, I just want, I like to, we got great ratings and a lot of them. I like reading the reviews. Do you? Everybody always puts something funny in there. I, Rogan, I thought, said it best when he said, don't read the fucking comments. No, oh, I'm not reading the comments. I'm reading the review. Those reviews. are the same thing. No, the reviews are, review is saying, hey, I'm reviewing your show. And it's, they've got good uh, stuff in there. It's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Stop fidgeting with the pens. You look I, stupid. I read one Jeremy's once. super fucking mean. How do you deal with Jeremy? He's so mean. I read one once that said you suck. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was like Josh I didn't sucks. see that one. Yeah. Maybe don't leave any reviews. If you're going to say people suck. Thanks again to our ne- guest, Nick Griot. <sighs> we'll see you again next week.